All right, Holman, what do you think of this? This is the Big Cummins Assault! Part two. <laughs> <laughs> Part two. We actually ran out of show. We, we, hit the, we hit the wall at the end of the last episode. We're it, just, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, There's know, no more show left. It's amazing. It's been an entire week since we uh, recorded the last show. Yeah, we ran out of we, runway. Yeah, and, and we waited a week and we came back. And now we are fully refreshed and ready to get back into this great Cummins content. Are we? We're well, not refreshed. That's not true at all because we uh, just ended the last show five minutes ago. Why would you pull the curtain back? I did have a Dr. Pepper break yeah, in so there, so I think that helps. And you, you peed out the last Dr. Pepper. I did, so I'm just recycling <laughs> now. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm like 12 Dr. Peppers in on the uh, truck show You podcast. know what I had today was so good? What? Doghouse chili dogs. Doghouse is solid. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're know. expensive, though. Yeah. Super expensive. I didn't pay for it, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Where do you have a doghouse by you? I don't know. They Uber Eats oh, delivered it. Oh, interesting. All right. We do Uber Eats a lot. We just work right through lunch. Yeah, and then everybody Uber Eats. Yeah, right. yeah. Our is Uber it? Eats bill is a little uh, pricey. You guys also overspend it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at me. Look at this double chin. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the way you have a goatee. It hides all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Not well. Uh, <laughs> uh, so here we are. We're back. Uh, we're going to do the second part of the Cummins episode. We just had too much content. I'm still jealous of your little Cummins excursion. Uh, yeah, I uh, had a great time. That was awesome. Thanks for rubbing it in. Uh, I mean, I have to sit here and listen to all the audio, and it sounds really cool. I wish you could have been there because I think you would have liked it. No, you do not wish I would have been there because I could have been there. No? I wanted to go. You told me like last year when you were going, Uh and I go, hey, I'd love to do that. And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. You just blew me right off. Yeah, you never never circled back with me because you were working. (sighs) Can we... Will you... Are we going to... (laughs) I'm trying to figure out Uh, how I want to say this. Yeah. Is Nissan happening in the beginning uh, of the year? Let's just uh, it's just we'll we'll table that. Where there are some discussions going on that might be pretty cool. I have long said that I want to go take a tour. Yeah. of the Nissan okay, plant. Great, we're working on some stuff. And Don't jinx it. it well, Nissan is a, a sponsor, yes. and I would figured that they would want to have us out there. Yeah, am Don't, I jinxing it by just saying? Just we're this working now? on some stuff. We're working on some stuff. I can only imagine how state of the art it is. It's uh, you can eat off the floor. I'd rather not eat off the floor, but I will I if mean, they you ask can. me to. You can. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Bacon and eggs in the morning. What are you doing, lightning? I just, I, it's clean floors. <laughs> no. Seriously. You said it's clean. I can eat off the floor. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I don't even know where to go with the show from here. <laughs> well, you've got, it's a, it's the Cummins episode uh-huh. after we... Talk about Nissan and uh-huh. Decked. That's okay. what we do. Did All right. you forget the Yeah, structure? no, no. I'm, I'm just waiting for the you to finish talking about Nissan. I'm waiting no. for the plug. There's, I'm, I'm okay. Get down to your local <laughs> Nissan. Thank dealer, you. Because they have the best warranty in the business. Five year, one hundred thousand miles. And bacon and eggs off the floor of their plant. Yes. <laughs> I. How I'm we, not joking. I will eat bacon and eggs off the. If it's as clean as you say, I will get a fork and I will. T- oh, dump my tray not, of food out and the, I will eat it the off floor the floor. Floor's not hot. How are you going to cook the eggs? I'm not, no, no, no. It's already cooked. I'm going to go to McDonald's. That's gross. Get a crap. You just said it was clean. I, it is clean, but why would you eat off the floor? You don't have to. To prove how clean it was. Okay. I'm trying to say how cool our sponsor is. Yeah, I love Nissan. And their 2020 Nissan Titan, which you <laughs> will be able to get like within the next month. I'm just saying when you buy a new vehicle, okay. the way they build a vehicle is indicative of the quality you end up with. So if the plant is super badass, uh-huh. so will your... Your truck will be badass. Speaking of plants, mm-hmm. we have some plant stuff in this episode. 
We're plant-based? <laughs> no, we are definitely not plant-based. <laughs> no, I not. saw what you had for lunch. It was the uh, doghouse chili. <laughs> yes, it was. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. Uh, NissanUSA.com. Yes. If you're in the market for a uh, new half-ton or half-ton plus truck, the Nissan Titan, Nissan Titan. What about Titan, the Vans? MV200, MV2500, MV3500, NissanUSA.com. Check it out. And on the Titans, five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. I said that. Zero gravity seats. Did you say that? No. Titan boxes? I didn't say that either. Fender audio? Didn't say that either. 5.6 liter Endurance oh, V8? No, man. The V8 sounds so good. It does actually sound pretty good. If you close your eyes, you would think it's a sports car. I guarantee you. You'd think that you were in a really high-end sports car, but you're in a badass truck. I would take the baddest truck over the high-end sports car any day of the week. Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, perfect pairing, hand-in-hand, hand. deck system. Yep. Deck.com. Head on over to deck.com or check out at DeckedUSA on the socials if you want to uh, see a pretty badass and awesome cargo storage solution. Uh, speaking of uh, factories and manufacturing and plant floors, I got a whole bunch from that. So why don't we uh, get started by hitting that intro there, Lightning. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck truck rides with the truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman i guess you did the other santa ho yeah you have to this is the episode that's going to be right before Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas, Lightning. So you had that Merry Christmas, Holman. How you doing? All right. So you had to ruin the intro with your ho-ho. I would like to cleanse my palate of your badness with some of your goodness. Oh, okay. I You mean uh, bad isn't good. Yes. Bad, like, yeah, bad. Like, like Michael Jackson, bad. No, that's bad. Oh, that is bad? I don't know. No. Some people think it's good. It's bad. It's, it's bad as good. All right. Well, was, was good. I think I'm good. It was good before the propofol. <laughs> <laughs> what? Holman, set the stage. Where are we? Who are we with? Oh, I, we are back in uh Wait, hold on. Do we need the music? The harp or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go over here. Imagine a small town, a mid-sized town in uh, beautiful... Midwest, uh, Columbus, Indiana. Beautiful Midwest. <laughs> amongst the cornfields, which mm-hmm. were uh, iced over by lots of snow and freezing temperatures. And we are with our friend Steve Sanders from Cummins. We're still at the HRC, and in front of us, two historic Cummins pickup trucks. Can you imagine that? I can. W- what, what, what color are they? They're uh, rusted? Yeah, totally patinaed. Okay. And uh, <laughs> funny note, we are driving down a road, right? And uh, Steve says, hey, the corn's down. If you look over there, you can see so-and-so's house. And I'm like, that's something that would never be set in California. And I just Not looked it up. And I'm like, once ever. I just laughed. Hey, the corn's down. Look over. <laughs> so just imagine we're back to Columbus, Indiana. All right. So I'm here with everybody's favorite uh, Cummins employee. Well, except for maybe Cummins. Steve Sanders. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me out. We're over at the uh, the HRC right now. Yes. And uh, who do we have with us that doesn't want to talk? Oh. Brittany Huseman. Mark Hornung. All right, and we are standing in front of D002. Holman, I can't re- remember what does HRC stand for? The Historical Restoration Center. Ah! And D006, which are two of the six uh, development trucks. You guys on the podcast have heard D001 at the Ram Drive. Um, these are two other trucks. These were both four-wheel drives. D001 was a two-wheel drive. 
These trucks were all part of the original uh, Cummins development program in order to shoehorn what was uh, a medium duty diesel back then into a uh, light duty truck. And uh, that's history as we know it, right? Yeah, these trucks have always uh, kind of loitered around Columbus from building to building. Uh, we use them as shop trucks all the time and what better uh, place for them to be shop trucks in a safe haven than the uh, History and Restoration Center. What's interesting is both of these trucks, while they're used as development mules, D002 is unchanged and true to its original mission with the original 5.9. And it looks like the truck, as most Dodges of the era, is slowly returning to the earth. And while the uh, the Cummins looks like it's just uh, you know at attention, saluting, yeah, this, ready to go. This truck is pretty awesome. I, <laughs> I will say that the wheels have been spray painted black. Yeah, I uh, can say it's got a patina, but it has really shiny patina, black wheels. But for Indiana, like it's it still good. got cab quarters and the yeah. bed's not all rusted out. Uh, so are those? Uh, oh, you have dualomatics on one, and I think uh, selectos <laughs> on the other one. Yeah, selectro. Yeah, we don't mess around. <laughs> what was the history of 002? afterwards it was just a shop truck or did it get yeah, shelved so for a while zero zero two was uh the big thing was it was the first four-wheel drive prototype uh so like you said one was a two-wheel drive and then we needed to see if we could do it with four-wheel drive and it it literally sat out at ole um it got moved to cep uh the uh, columbus engine plant um right downtown and really just ran parts uh forever around the tech center and everything and then once uh, we started a massive collection here and we got some um, spare space um, under the roof, we got them back inside. Um, whereas D006 had been, um, it was the first kind of five-speed prototype and charger-cooled prototype at one point in its life. But it's been used uh, pretty heavily for towing um, some of these historic cars and engines around town. Well, it looks uh, it looks like it has been uh, kept up slightly better. There's uh, at least one good shiny fender on it. You can wash part um, of it, yeah. I do like how you have the natural two-tone on the cab, whereas uh, some trucks might have a different cab top above the drip rail. <laughs> uh, this one actually has a patinaed uh, cab top, and then uh, it's white everywhere else. It might be patina a little bit. <laughs> Pinholes. You know, fine, that's You fine. actually like when it uh, snows because it plugs the holes <laughs> with ice, which is pretty cool. No, this, this truck is awesome, but this truck not only has it served the mission of being the first five-speed truck um, and, and charge air cooling prototype and all that, it actually got another engine swap recently as the precursor to your, your SEMA project this year. Yeah, so this year we partnered with uh, the team at Mopar for the lowliner concept. And uh, what we wanted to do was take a, the latest and greatest version of the 24 valve from our recon um, lineup of engines and see what it would do in this old cool truck that uh, Mopar put together. But to do that, obviously we were gonna be on a really compressed timeline and we couldn't you know, build the engine for them and then ship it to them uh, and then tune it and all this. That's not how SEMA builds tend to work. Yeah, you know, right. They're all pretty, pretty compressed timelines. So we decided we would build kind of a sister truck for a powertrain mule here. And we started to kick around like, well, what should we go buy? Should we try to buy the same type of truck that they're doing? And, you know, we got into the, the conference room a little bit and, and went back and forth and we thought, well, hell, we have, we have development trucks here, you know, <laughs> from the original program. Sure. Let's, let's pick one of those. And, you know, that wouldn't completely ruin the truck. We'd still be able to get a lot of use out of the truck with it. Um, and one that maybe doesn't have the original engine anyway. And uh, so we landed with D006 and uh, the team uh, called up a 24 valve um, from our recon facility and then, um, started to work their magic. So that's really where 
um, Brittany and, and Mark and the team out of Oli that does uh, a lot of the like model year 19 and 20 and current product development stuff with Chrysler. Um, you know, we, we borrowed all their spare time <laughs> <laughs> and, and instead of just like wiring it and making it run, we're like, also let's put a model year 19 ECM on this thing. So and it's a model year 19 ECM, but it's a, uh, 2000, Six, seven? Did you it's say? first half of 07. Yeah, okay, so, so five, yeah. nine, 24 valve. Yeah. Um, but pre DP or pre DEF. And yeah, pre EGR. Okay. So um, we left uh, right now the, the fueling and everything is as it would have been in 07. Uh, so 325, 600 um, is what the engine puts out. But it's like easier said than done. You know, me being a marketing guy, like, yeah, just program that ECM's tune <laughs> into that ECM. And all of them are like, giving me dirty looks. Uh, they're giving you dirty looks right now. <laughs> yeah, so just like, yeah, we do hate So you. what's that like when marketing comes to you and says, do this? Um, it definitely takes a lot more work than you, know, you originally think it's going to. Mm -hmm. So this truck has a completely custom you know, software set. The calibration is completely custom. It's you know, some combination of you know, the engine that went in the 07 truck versus the engine that's in the 19 truck. Um, it's got a completely you know, one-off wiring harness. Uh, so again, because the SEMA build timeline was so compressed, we had to you know, build wiring harnesses in-house. So we built one for our truck and one for their truck and sent them theirs and you know, troubleshot ours and then sent them you know, updates. Uh, so there was a lot of back and forth between our team here at Cummins and the team at Mopar trying to get both trucks done in time for the show. Getting into the wiring piece of it, it was taking this truck out to Oli where they're working on DOT modern <laughs> stuff and saying, all right, like, all right, guys. Put this new engine in, and uh, yeah, I guess the brake lights don't really work that well. And then, you know, the next trip out there, they've got the whole, like, doghouse off the truck, wiring harness for the truck laid out on the workbenches. And not, they had a lot of fun with it. They did an awesome job with it. But it was uh, definitely more of an uh, in-depth task than what marketing <laughs> made it out to be. Like, just swing the engine. They're both, you know, five nines. How hard could it be? So how hard was it? <laughs> Uh, you know, as Brittany mentioned, uh, it, way more in depth than, uh, you know, simply doing a like for like swap. Uh, you know, as she mentioned, some of the, the challenges of working back and forth with the Mopar team to troubleshoot their SEMA build. Uh, at the same time, we're really building this truck, uh, you know, as an engineering mule. Um, and I'd have to give a, a big thank you to our team down at, at Oli for uh, all the work that they put into this, uh, especially with adapting the uh, Mopar wiring harness. Uh, that's used for their current gasoline crate engines. So again, it, you know, extremely challenging project, but uh, the guys knocked it out of the park, and it's a pretty cool, uh, you know, result. Well, it rolled in under its own power, and what I'm amazed, the difference in sound, we took a sound clip we'll play, between D002 with the old 5.9 and 006 with the new 5.9, and just, you know, 25 years apart or so in technology, just how quiet it is and, and even the nvh the truck doesn't shake as much what's it like driving it uh it's it's really good um you know and there's other folks besides us that that worked on the calibration uh but they can you know mirror the fact that uh the increased torque output of the you know common common rail 24 valve 07 uh and the drivability with a manual uh it's just a nicer experience no torque no. management <laughs> <laughs> yeah will, will it do a gnarly burnout We'll have to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I can tell you, like, Ultimate Adventure this year, we were in the, you know, 5.9 um, tug truck for uh, eight days in Alaska. And, like, 
five nine twelve valves are awesome engines, but they're a lot to live with. And if we didn't have like our headsets and our radios, <laughs> yeah. we would have been deaf by the end yeah. of the week. And just a little bit of time I've, you know, had in the cab of this uh, with it running. I, I really wish we would have had more time to do this drive line in Fred's it, it, yeah, truck yeah. before Alaska. Well, I'm sure Fred's <laughs> open to that. Oh, I'm sure he is uh, too. Um, I think the uh, the the newly. Uh, uh, recovered front seat or well, only seat bench seat is pretty nice in that thing too. You open you open it up and it's like the nicest thing inside the seat. You're like, yes. oh, I like that. It's like D zero one. That's almost the best part of the truck is getting in. Yeah, like, it's an eighties time machine. But it's amazing. It's sort of like uh, when you walk into an old boat and all old uh, old boats smell the same, right? All old boats have that just that mustiness to it. There's something about an eighties Chrysler yes. that they all would. Uh, however, Musty, the material smell of depreciation. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever the smell of like decomposing automotive plastics yes. and carpets is like, they all smell all like stuff that. you're not supposed to breathe now. Well, it's like. funny. And in the eighties were interesting because especially on the, the Ram trucks, the doors, the handles, those are all like back from the seventies and sixties. Right. And so just the way you push the button and the door pops open and the yeah. way the fit is and how heavy they are, then you get on like this velour, you know, bench seat that's super <laughs> springy and soft. And you know, that's not how a truck experiences these days. No. You're just it, sliding in across the bench. Uh, it's awesome. Aaron, when he pulled in here with the truck, you know, he's been working on the calibration in the last couple couple days, maybe in preparedness for you to come drive it. But oh, uh, wait, what are he we came doing? in and he saw someone try to shut do the we, driver's door. Do I get to drive it? Oh, yeah. I'll hold your microphone. Yeah, no, this is going to be great. But okay. I, I didn't know that. He tried, someone was trying to shut the door and he's like, no, 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 you don't do it like that. And <laughs> we saw him strategically put his the hand, hand in the middle of the door yeah. and push Poof. up while he was slamming yeah. it and it shut totally fine. right away. It's like, yeah, these are 80s cars. Well, uh, I'm over this interview. Let's go drive. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over this interview. We Just ended it right there. Yep. Uh, do you want to play the difference between a 12 valve and a 24 valve? Yes. Before we get into the truck? Yes, absolutely. All right, so play the clip of the 12 valve. All right, let me open this file up. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Cummins fans know that sound. Oh, yeah. How can you not just love that? Yeah, that's good stuff right there. All right, All right now and- this is the exact same truck, D006, same vintage, with a 2007 24 valve 59 swap. Now listen to the difference. Oh yeah. Quiet, huh? Yeah. That crazy how different that is? D- totally different harmonics. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, uh, I just love the way those sound. All right, so uh so I think we've talked about this before. Cummins fans it's it's something so uh, not, it's not visceral. It what, is visceral. Visceral. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. You become one with that sound. Yeah. It's just it's special. Um, so as you guys heard right now, that's where the the conversation started with will that thing do a burnout? Uh, we don't do it in this clip, but we played it for you last episode. Uh, but let's let's play the clip of us driving it. All right. So sorry to in, uh, to end that interview uh, so quick, but <laughs> we're in it. Drive. We're in D 6 and uh, apparently on this one. Did you get it shut all the way that I time? I doubt it. Oh. That looked right. way too effortless. <laughs> right, so it's over and back, so here we go. That's like almost too easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So much quieter than tug truck. And back. Look at that. I even found it. Maybe. You haven't moved yet. That's true. Well, i got to adjust my mirrors here because I don't want to hit anything on the way out. 
priceless artifacts. <laughs> Domino effect. How did you convince uh, the guys who are responsible for this to uh, let us drive it? Let me drive it. That's easy. I told them you were famous. Yeah. And they went, who? <laughs> who is this guy again? I told him you were on roadkill. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> I should start using that. All right. Oh my goodness, it is so much quieter than... It's what, what's quieter. rattling Although in the there, shifter though. still rattles, as you'd expect. Well, oh, look at, look at shift it, knob. It's probably a granny low, too. Yeah, the shift knob is actually a <laughs> for low, uh, transfer case. Too high, for high. Well, oh, yeah. And it's got the longest donkey shifter. <laughs> and the clutch pedal throw is like four feet long. It actually drives nice. Well, yeah, you've gone four miles per hour. Does the speedo work? It bounces. I don't know if it actually tells the speed. All right, where are we going? Go left. All right. What does that dash look like in there? Uh, just like an old 80s dash. It just looks like every Dodge of that era that you'd ever want, you know. Did it um, smell like uh, your grandpa's old flannel? Uh, absolutely. And uh, the ashtray was pulled out and just had a bunch of, like, pieces of stuff shoved in it. Like a little round. I don't know what they like, were from. Like, oh, not cigars. No, no, no. Like just it. Just people had like nuts and bolts and things. And <laughs> and the uh, bench seat had actually just been recovered, and it was actually really nice. Uh, but there's like data cables on the floor. There's like the headliners drooping down. It's like this really a uh, crazy juxtaposition of old truck and, and super modern, strangely modern things floating around. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah, there's one way out. Uh, you're right. <laughs> it is. Give her the beans. Is there a rev limiter on this one? In theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about, it feels like about 2200 RPM. Yeah, I was going to say, you're nowhere near it. All right, so here we go. Hang oh, right. brakes still work, all right. Oh, yeah. Front springs are shot. Bump stops work. <laughs> We're going to make a right Roll turn. Roll your window up, Harry. Oh, are you cold? No. I mean, it's only 19 degrees outside right now. You're, you're going to make wind noises on your radio program. There we go. All right. Yeah, this is like the world's shortest power band. It's not optimized yet. <laughs> it actually drives awesome. <laughs> like, if I had one of these old trucks, I would totally do the swap. I mean, you're literally driving this before me. I have not <laughs> driven this truck yet. <laughs> I can't believe you suggested that. That's how I much be able faith to drive we it. have in our oh, teams. Oh, railroad tracks. Bump stops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he wasn't kidding uh, about nope. the front springs. That hurt. Like it hurts. It hurts. bad. <laughs> Uh, who do we apologize? Do we apologize to Aaron on that one? Yeah, just Dude. each other. All right, sorry about <laughs> that. Just each other. Oh, hey, look, the knob came off in my hand. I'm actually holding the shifter. Maybe we should like uh, tape that bad boy on. No, I like playing with it. You know, it's like one of those. Uh, <laughs> what's one of those like uh, fidget widgets, yeah, a right? Fidget spinner. Yeah, that's what it is. I just drive like that. <laughs> I mean, this thing's pretty awesome. It's remarkably. It's, cool. it's funny because as we were driving, I posted a uh, video. I think uh, at Truck Show podcast. As you were driving. Because the knob was the wrong knob, it slowly spun in a circle as you were driving, and you'd accelerate as you would uh, go through the RPMs. It would then reverse course and start spinning the other direction. Or it's like you uh, slightly mesmerizing, like you drove to Australia. Yeah, I don't know, like, like you're flushing the yeah, toilet right, wrong way, <laughs> the wrong way. Yeah, remarkably it quiet. It says it has 128,000 miles. I bet it has 428,000 miles. Yeah, you can't trust any of our test trucks like for what the dashboard is telling you that one wasn't terrible no that was bad as that first one all right turn left here yeah you can go left to the right i don't know if the blinkers work but unless you want to go fast and you go right oh okay well we're going right 
get up to cruising speed. I'm, I tried to uh, over rev the engine there. I apologize. Yeah, you're fine. All right, we're in second, coming to the stop sign. We're in first, and uh, nobody's coming, so that's first. <laughs> I love, this is an old G56, uh, I think, right? Yes. Oh, I so, love that trans. Yeah, Just... we matched the powertrain for exactly what was going in the low liner. We put the right tires on to try to get the final drive ratio as close as we could without changing our rear end set. This thing feels awesome, dude. I'm telling you, I love it. Oh, man, it makes me want to. Hey, we're going truck. speed limit. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? With the, the speedo's still bouncing between it. There's about a 10 mile an hour. Uh, room for error there as long as Margin you don't hear it like dinging like a little bell yeah that's when you know the cable is going out on these okay. first gens like right. you start to hear a little dinging Good and you know. can't trust it all right we're going to fifth gear there it is oh wow, that's a super yeah. overdrive oh, listen to that rattle overdrive. that's the shifter knob look at that wow okay i'm, I'm not gonna lie this is a damn treat dude <laughs> I, I really appreciate uh being able to uh come out to the middle of america Get an old diesel power pickup truck, wear my flannel shirt and my blue jeans. That's right, you do. I mean, you really look the part. Do I look right like I got, got my baseball cap on? Yeah, I'll if only we had a gun sure rack. A picture of you. Yeah, this is. Uh... You do dress the part whenever you go somewhere, don't you? No, that's just how I, I, I dress that here. It's just never that cold here. No, but I mean, like, you were, what was the event where you totally were dressed in, like, khakis and your yeah, but those, sun hat? Yeah, those were given to us. It was yeah. a Land Rover event. Yeah, it was overlanding for the Land Rover uh, Trek. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a uniform. Due to this, you know, when I went out there and I saw they had the whole, like, doghouse off the truck. Yeah. And they were cleaning up the frame, Even like, the painting the frame. Great. Yeah, they, they don't put stuff back together half-assed. Yeah. And, like, the proof is in the pudding on our little Ram hood ornament. Yep. In the old truck, proud, by proud this point in our drive, that Ram would be looking you dead in the eye. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just the NVH of the engine would turn exactly. him around. Exactly. So he's, they, they uh, made no, it he's better. proud. He's he is standing proud. up tall out front. And we're in fifth gear doing 55, allegedly. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe uh, and it feels uh, feels great. You might have a full tank of fuel. You might not. <laughs> yeah. uh, we might be in the normal uh, heat yes, rate. We might be not. optimal oil pressure. It, it might, might not be, be overcharging. It might not. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know what else I could tell the uh, the Truck Show podcast listeners, but this is awesome. All you Cummins fans out there, uh, I wish you were here in the in the truck with me because it's it's a real treat. Um, this thing is so cool. It sounds like All a right. freight well, train, doesn't it? I'll take you back. I'll oh, take yeah. the back route. All so right. go up to this light, turn right, and we'll uh, we'll make it really feel like a farmer out here. All right. Until next time. And there's that rattle <laughs> yeah, from the shifter. <laughs> it wasn't the engine. The engine swap was awesome. Right. And uh, so a little, little secret here. Uh, if uh, listeners are interested, obviously the Cummins Repower program is the 2.8. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the R2.8, the right? The R2.8. <clears throat> wouldn't it be interesting if there was an R5.9? Yes. Oh, my God, would that pop? Wait, what are you saying? I'm just saying that if there's interest, we might be able to pass along the, that uh, that interest to Mopar and to Cummins. They've got to know that. I mean, I'm just saying we can help the cause. No, wait, but are you saying this knowing something? I'm in- just saying that if people think that's a cool swap, it could probably happen in life if you just say that's what you want. Interesting. Holman hmm. saying something. <laughs> I'm staring into his gaze right now. Yes. And he knows something. I, I know nothing. Mm. All I know, I was at Cummins for several days and immersed in their culture with their people mm-hmm. and with their uh, awesome B-Series engine. Nicest people on the planet, right? Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, no, the uh, every time I go, I'm amazed. Um, is it weird because people in Southern California, many of them are just assholes? Not everyone, but you know, a you, lot you, of them. Gruff. They're just, you know, it's like New don't Yorkers. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, you don't have time. Yeah, but you, I feel like if you and I haven't been in Cummins, but I would imagine that everyone's like, Sean, what's happening? How you doing? Can I get you a sandwich? No, it's not like that. But no? it's just the, there's like a mad level of respect where they just appreciate that there's somebody out there from the media who cares a, enough to come to their little town and talk mm. about what they're doing. Oh. And just everybody is just like, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, thank you for making the time. So they're not offering you a sandwich. What would you... Oh, they, they fed me. That was great. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what would a win look like for you? You know, if we were to take you places, what would you like to see? What would you like to do? If you walked out of here, what would you like to have to make sure that this trip is worth your while? An engine? I mean, I may have said that once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just the, the Cummins people are great, and the... The people behind the brand, you know, obviously it's a massive multinational corporation, yet the vibe is that it's still a family business. They make so many engines that you and I will never, I mean- All over the world, all sorts of stuff. Marine engines yeah. and, and and generators and all kinds yeah. of stuff Gen that you and I would never it. interact with, yeah. right? I mean, just just crazy stuff. Um, so it's just it's just refreshing. Like You just feel like they, they care that you're there. And uh, they want you to know that it's special that you're there. And so I had full access to, to walk around. And I, I went to a, a bunch of different places. One was the 6-7 plant. Uh, but then I also got taken to the Seymour uh, engine plant, which builds a whole bunch of the big, like, big engines, like 95 liter engines. Wait, say that again? 95 liters. Say that for a third time? Yeah, 95 liters. <laughs> what? Yeah, so they have at the Seymour engine that plant. Is from a, that's from a ship or something, A ship right? or a mining truck. Komatsu's starting to put them into mining trucks. Okay. It's just the thing is massive. What kind of fuel does that drink? Uh, so they, they talk about this. So if you want to play the, uh, the next clip. All right, we're at the uh, Cummins Seymour engine plant in Seymour, Indiana. And uh, who am I with today? Uh, Craig Reed. Hi, Craig. How's it going? Uh, we're standing next to some giant engines. Why don't you tell me a little bit about them? Yeah, so this one right here to the right-hand side, or my right-hand side, is a 19-liter uh, inline six. Probably the oldest engine we build in the plant. Um, it's cross-section, so you can see the internal workings of it. Any idea where he's from? What's that, what's uh, that Indiana. accent? What's that? Indiana. No, his accent's yeah, from... Absolutely. Middle America, if I, if, if I had to guess. You're making that up. What are you talking about? He's from, he's from Europe. No, 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 no. Straight out of the corn. <laughs> uh, the what would this one go in? Uh, they go in everything. Agriculture, mining, uh, power generation. Mining? Where's he from? You didn't ask? Indiana. Uh, uh, the what would this one go in? Uh, they go in everything. Agriculture, mining, uh, power generation, um, marine. Locomotive, and it's a big what? Pretty four much four cylinder, three cylinder. It's a inline six. In, oh, this is a six, huh? So the one on my left is a V nine hundred three, which is predominantly military applications. Um, it's a V eight. It's a fifteen liter, and it's solely for the U.S. military right now. Okay. Uh, the one a little bit over is a QST thirty, so it's a, a V twelve. It goes in either power generation or industrial applications. And then the big one behind me is a 95 liter, which goes in marine, local, and power generation right now. We're currently putting it in mining as we speak. 19 liter, or 90. 95 liter. 95 liter. And uh, those fuel filters are massive. I wonder how many, is that like a, a couple gallons each or something like that? Uh, well, it holds 165 gallons of oil. <laughs> 
and it burns a gallon of fuel every 15 seconds when it's running at oh my god 80 percent capacity uh so it's a little bit louder than a uh, b-series a gallon of fuel every 15 seconds at only 80 percent capacity it was massive i swear each of those fuel filters had to be a couple gallons like, they were the biggest fleet guards I think I'd ever seen. I just can't even wrap my head around I mean, that. I mean, I'll post a picture up on at Truck Show Podcast of me standing in front of it, and it just absolutely dwarfs me. It's pretty rad, dude. I just can't get over that fuel consumption. <laughs> yes. Just a little. And so all of these engines are built here. Every one of these engines was built in this pond. What's, I mean, we're looking at the, uh, the big guy here. It's probably about, what, eight feet tall by 10 feet? That's 11, probably 12 feet tall. 12 feet tall? It's on this uh, pretty beefy uh, engine stand here, I'm assuming, so. It weighs, it weighs 36,000 pounds dry. <laughs> so, all right, to wow. put that in perspective, the, uh, the new uh, heavy duty trucks are now just reaching 35,000 pounds of towing. Uh, this is, this engine by itself is more capacity than the towing on like a F450 or something like that now. <laughs> How about a Ram? How about a Ram, we a Ram? So that'd be, uh, that'd be the uh, coming 6.7 could tow this. How about that, Steve, we good with that? All right, Steve's giving me the uh, the thumbs up on that one. Yeah, those are heavy, and they drink <laughs> a lot of fuel. I, I mean, mean, that's the bottom line. 36,000 pounds dry. Yeah. All right, so uh, the lady right there is putting together how many liters of that engine? 30. 30. Uh, do they come to here as raw castings? They come here as a, a pre-machine casting, and then we finish machine it. Okay. Uh, the line uh, next to this is the... The next line over is the 19-liter line, which is in line six. So Steve, is uh, Cummins Repower the uh, the 30 liter? We're gonna, is that going to be your next offering? We're, we're going uh, V903. We love people. Uh, we know people love the V8, so why not do a 15 liter? <laughs> nice. Eight shot block, so it's pretty much manually moved from station to station. Once it gets to here, it's called drag line, and they they pretty much hook to a chain on the floor. And every 42 minutes, that line will move to the next station, so the engine moves every 42 minutes. So does that mean the engine is completed every 42 minutes as well? Yes, every 42 minutes, an engine will come off the end of the line. And a new one starts at the other end. Yep. It's amazing to see the uh, the track system and the engine cradles. Obviously, these things weigh a lot. What does the uh, what is the 30 liter weigh? I'd be guessing around about 20,000 pounds, I would say. <laughs> 20, wow. Once it gets to this white cabinet, the operator will scan an envelope, and on that envelope, it'll have a, a barcode, and that barcode pulls into this computer, and it downloads it with whatever calibration it needs. And then the, the test guys will use that calibration to run the engine. So everything gets run for X amount of minutes before coming off? Yeah, everything gets a full production test. V903 and 30 litre take between 45 minutes and an hour, and um, 19 litre takes around about 45 minutes, and Hedgehog, or 95 litre, takes four hours. So they're essentially being shipped out full of fluids and everything? No, we drain them of the fluids. Okay. So the 95 liter takes three to four hours? And then what are you doing? Are you cycling up to different RPMs and getting yeah, things broken in for the client? Yeah, we go through a warm-up period to get the oil up to temperature, then we'll run it at 80% capacity for maybe a set period of time and then go back through the cool-down phase. So essentially every engine is hot-tested? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. These guys here, uh, this is test repair. So any failures, whether it's a, a leak at the rear main seal or a spun bearing, these guys can tear it down and rebuild it and then put it back in the test cell so we get a good test report. And it looks like this guy here has uh, one turbo per bank on the V8? Yes. V. That's a V12. Uh, v, that's a V12. Yeah. Wow. All right, so we're standing at the uh, the beginning of the line, station one for the 95 liter beast. And uh, 
it looks like I don't know we're in the bowels or the engineering of like a spaceship or something like that. All the uh, the robot arms and all the fixtures and jigs. It looks like a uh, I guess a mechanics operating room. Yeah. So that the guy at Station One, he's working on the crank right now, which is um, it costs us seventeen thousand dollars to buy the crank, and it weighs around about five thousand pounds. It's literally longer than a small car and weighs probably two or three times as much. Yep, that's right. And what is the RPM that that crank can sustain on the 95 liter? Uh, we've tested it up to uh, 6,000 without without failure. 6,000 RPM? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's more than your road-going diesel by a lot. That's insane, by the way. 6,000 RPM? 6,000 RPM on a 95 yeah. liter. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's insanity. Because we're at work, we're cranking, we've got a supercharged engine, we're going to put turbos on, but right now, we're turning 5,500, and it's screaming, and that's a 7-liter diesel, that's a 7-liter, 7.1-liter Duramax, and at 55, it's screaming! I cannot imagine! Can you imagine the noise that that must make? 95 liters at 6,000 RPM. I mean... I'm trying to, I wish you would have, I guess they weren't running one while you were there. Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to hear one, but I was just mm. blown away by the specs on this thing. I want to say, I don't know what the the output is on it. I want to say it's like three thousand to five thousand horsepower or something like that. I mean, that's just <laughs> it's got to be more than that. Uh, it's got to be. Let more me let me pull it up. So uh, Cummins, the uh, here we go, the QSK ninety five. Okay, here we go. Uh, power is between three thousand and fifty one hundred horsepower. Okay. In between 11,671 and 17,802 pound-feet of torque. <laughs> That's it. That's the number I was looking for. So the arms are, I guess, there to assist the uh, the operator in assembly. And I'm guessing that they also take uh, readings for the serial number on the engine in terms of torque and all that, so you can go back and look at all that? Yeah, yeah, they do. So if we have an issue in the field and it was on ESN 999, we can go back and see what happened that day, see if there was any fatigue failures or anything like that any anomalies or something with manufacturing and then like you were saying the uh even if the bolt or the arm is off by an inch it won't initiate the bolt sequence or tightening sequence or anything yeah they have to be on the correct bolt and it's within has to be, has to be within probably an eighth of an inch oh my gosh it's amazing what reads that is it lasers or is it just a camera system something I, mean, I wouldn't even know how you would train an arm to uh, know where its position is in the world. Uh, so the, the orange GCI arms, they're, they're proximity sensored on every on every joint and every movement, so it knows where it is in relation to where it started. Wow. Okay, that's pretty uh, pretty incredible tech. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish you guys could see this uh, this line where the engines are coming through, and just how massive these things are. Right now, uh, I guess we're looking at station two. The block is upside down, uh, and it looks like the. Uh, the mains are being bolted onto the uh, the crank through the bottom where the oil pan would be. And uh, she's working on, it's got a jig, and she's working on it. Uh, she's got a big arm and tightening things down. And then it just goes from st station to station. I saw when we were at the end of this line, it looks like once the, the big guy is built up and pretty heavy, it's actually on like a railroad system in the floor. Yeah, yeah. So once it gets off chop block, it hits a railway system, and then it's moved through a, um, an airline from station to station. All right, well, let's go uh, check that out. All right, so the you were just talking about the basic uh, engines 
are the same, but they get outfitted differently depending on what they're doing. You've got the Komatsu mine trucks, you paint them yellow. You have a natural gas unit in front of us here. You have a power generation unit. What are some of the differences that happen to the engines depending on application? So natural gas is a V12 and 95 liter is a V16. Um, the difference is really aren't significant. It's small ancillary components, maybe like a, um, an oil regulator or a different flywheel. So the, the crank and pistons and internal combustion chamber, that is all the same? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much all the same. It's just amazing looking. I mean, that's a V12 uh, natural gas one in front of us, and it's about twice as tall as the guy working on it. <laughs> I mean, just the, the size of the flywheel is just awesome. And then from here, you can see the overhead cranes, and then it go, I guess it goes on the, the, the rail jig over here, right? Yeah, once it hits this build cart, it'll move probably every two hours between stations, depending on how fast the operators are. Um, but it's around about every two hours. So is every station designed so it takes about the same amount of time for each sequence? Or what happens if the operator in front of you is done first? Do they just hit a green button that says I'm ready to go and you still have a couple more minutes? Or Yeah, typically if, if the operators behind you finish early, they'll either jump in and help you or they'll prepare for the next engine. Okay. Um, because this is still a pretty new engine, the natural gas, we're ironing out some bottlenecks, I guess. Station 8's a bottleneck, so you can see there's a gap between Station 9 and Station 11. Yeah. What are, uh, what are all the engines sitting here? This is the, the uh, area for quality control, or are these the completed engines? Uh, these, this, this is test and test repair, so the, okay. ones, the ones with red tags on have failed test for some reason. Okay. It could be a leak or it could be a calibration issue, I don't know. Um, and then the sort of loose components are engines that have had catastrophic failures in test that were tearing down. And that way you do the uh, finite uh, analysis on them to figure out what went wrong and, and uh, Either supplier needs to fix their metallurgy or something like that, or the part needs to be beefed up, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. We have a weekly test report that comes out, and if, if it's a if it's a major failure, we'll investigate what it is. If it's supplier, we'll reach out and they'll do an investigation. If it's us, we'll do the investigation. One of the things Cummins has been known for is obviously the quality, and it seems like uh, here at the plant, you guys have a pretty robust quality control system. So I come from operations, so the quality control system used to drive me crazy at times, <laughs> but I guess it's there for a reason. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, so we're heading to the uh, the test cells now. So you're saying the uh, the big yellow jig here uh, is a test card, and we're looking at what looks like uh, five hangar doors with rails going into them for these giant engines, and then the rail system takes them to either of these doors into a test cell. And uh, it looks like the, the jig for the test cell already has exhaust and, and other things hooked up to it. Yeah, so the guys hook it up externally. While we're running one in a test cell, they'll hook this one up so it's ready to go. And then from, so we, we had this test cart designed so that is there's no hookup in the cell. It just mates up to every every joint in the cell that it needs to, every connection. And it's just slip fit, so it slips right in. And then within 15 minutes from getting in the cell and the doors closing, the engine's running. Wow. And the only reason it takes 15 minutes is because it takes that long to fill it with 165 gallons of oil. <laughs> All right, so if, if you didn't have to fill it with oil, if oil was already magically in it, how long is it from the time the engine rolls into startup? Two or three seconds. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's amazing to be that efficient and quick with uh, things that are this big. So we're looking at a test cell room and it's uh, got all the plumbing and everything. You can see where the engines are and, and like I said, they'll run for hours at a time in here. Yeah, so this one here has been set up for a, um, like a, a longevity test to see how, how long we can run it before it runs into failure. Sort of CP testing, I guess. So it's basically run it until so is that 
at a higher RPM, higher heat, things to try and stress it more, or? They'll, they'll run it at how it's going to run in the field, but they may have new components in there that they want to try out, new main bearings or new connecting rods. So not necessarily the engine unit as itself failing, but components that are being upgraded or superseding another part number, they need to be tested on the engine in that environment. Right, right. If we've got new heads, we'll want to test them heads to, to see if they can run up to however many hours we need them to in the field. So then once the uh, engines are tested, they've, they've run, they go out the back door, are they on some sort of a jig or a pallet? How do they get shipped out? Because these things are obviously massive. Uh, how do they get out to where the manufacturer is building the vehicle that they're going to be put in? It depends on which platform. If it's, if it's V903 or 19 liter, they go on wood skids, so wooden expendable packaging. Uh, if it's a 30 liter, they predominantly go to Fridley, so we have returnable skids, which we send the engines to Fridley, they take the engine off, they send the skid back, and it's just a continuous route. 95 liter, the ones that go to Fridley are on the same uh, regime as the 30 liter. If it's going internationally, uh, it'll go on a wood, wooden expendable skid and we'll never see that skid again. That must be a massive, I mean, that skid's a structure. It's 2,500 pounds itself, so um, we use it one time, we never want it back just in case it gets damaged in transit, going either way and we don't want to risk it. So anybody who's going out to the desert that wants to have a pallet fire, that's probably uh, figure out where the 95 liter uh, <laughs> pallet structure is. Yeah, there's a bunch of wood there if someone wants it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks for your time today and uh, letting us see the big engines and uh, congratulations on those, uh, getting them into trucks finally. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, look at, uh, I guess, Komatsu. Go to uh, Komatsu's website and you'll see uh, the big mining trucks that uh, these, these big 95 liters are going into. And uh, All right, Steve, where are we off to next? Uh, I think a little place called Columbus Bar, maybe. All right, I like it's five it. Five It's five o'clock somewhere. So you ended that tour, and then when do you go in the six seven tour? So uh, yeah, so we have a, a couple pieces of audio here, and uh, the next one I believe is the six seven tour. Uh, we literally walked the entire line to each station and talked about what the workers were doing. It was very cool. All right, so this is Holman. I'm here at a CMEP, which is the uh, Cummins engine plant in Columbus, Indiana, where the uh, 6.7 liter uh, Cummins from the Ram is made. And uh, this facility is 600,000 square feet. And uh, who am I with today? Yeah, my name is Kyle Lewandowski. I'm the shop operations leader for the assembly side of our business. All right, so we're here at the plant, and uh, this plant exclusively makes uh, six sevens for uh, FCA, for the Ram customer. And uh, obviously a lot of changes this year with the six seven, and uh, maybe you walk us through, you know, the plant had to undergo renovation in order to build the new engine. Here we are at station one with the uh, machine block sitting in front of us, bare blocks. That's correct. So we are station one, uh, 1504 block load. Um, like you mentioned, we are looking like at an 80% content change for this model for us. So, so a lot of our workstations, about 80% of those were impacted by this model change. And the block is one of those things that changed, right? So we went from a uh, gray iron block to a CGI block. That's correct. So our machining side of the business, which uh, we're just assembly, so we do have machining in-house as well. They've taken care of that, that new block for us. So once they send that over to the assembly line, not a whole lot of specific process changes related to the block. You know, we're still stuffing, stuffing pistons in the same old manner we did with the old, with the old gray iron block, but uh, so a lot of changes around other parts and processes. I gotta tell you, the uh, the block sitting there, uh, coated and machined, is pretty uh, pretty gorgeous. Yeah, it's a it's a good looking block with with our with our black coating on it there, um, and then we put the uh, clear coat over it in the back to kind of set it off. Kicking off of our 8:30 break, so the associates are back in action, and uh, we'll put some together for you. All right, well then uh, let's uh, we'll keep walking and uh, excited to see how these things come together. All right, so as the uh, the block 
moves down to the next station, what's different in uh, what the guys are doing at this point in the process? So as we mentioned, about 80% of the workstations have been impacted by this model change. We come out of the block load station, we come to the second station in our assembly line, uh, and, and now instead of the old flat tappet, we're dropping in the hydraulic lash adjuster. So we split that into the next two stations. Uh, we'll install six and six. Uh, in each, and then we've got our HLA installed for the valve train. It's fun just to watch the uh, the, the jigs taking uh, the blocks through. Now, the process doesn't take very long. What, how long does the block stay here at this station? So every station, we've got about 196 assembly stations uh, out there through our assembly plant, uh, and each station is targeted at a 70-second cycle time, so just over a minute that engine is in station. Okay, and then uh, in our presentation coming into the plant, you guys do about 3,500 uh, units a week, and that's uh, running six days a week? That's correct. Right now we're about 3,500 units a week, six days, eight or nine hour days a week, or, or per day. Uh, per shift. We're running two shifts in assembly, so we run a first shift time slot from 6.30 in the morning to 3 or 4 in the afternoon, take a break in that second shift slot where we can do some maintenance work, clean some things up, and then at 10 p.m. we start up our third shift. All right, so uh, we're on to the next uh, portion where the, uh, the bearing caps and crankshafts are being dropped in, and you're telling me about the, the team setup, right? So there's a certain number of people on the team, they rotate once an hour doing a different, uh, a different uh, job just to uh, break up the monotony. You can hear the hammer as they're tapping in the uh, the bearing caps right now. Yeah, that's that's one thing we uh, we focused on in this plant over the years is just, is just ergonomics and the team structure. We've got about 21 teams in assembly. Each of those has a team coordinator, which is kind of like their leader, who's an offline position. But within those teams, you usually have 10 or 12 assembly stations. And on the hour, like you said, just for ergonomic reasons and break up the work for the folks, uh, we let them rotate jobs every hour. So is there any job at the plant that people love the most or a section of the engine assembly that people, it's like if you've made it to that part, you're sort of like, you know, that's the best job in the plant? Yeah, there are some there are some pockets of those jobs, at different teams in different areas of the building that attract people. Uh, we're in short block right now, so that's... Uh, By the way, we're watching a, uh, a crank go in. There's a overhead arm that lifts the crank up and drops it in. She's uh, rotating it and... Uh, She'll start putting the uh, say the bearing caps on it now. That's correct. Pretty and, cool uh, to watch. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really enjoyable to be part of this product every day. It's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, but there are certain areas where folks will bid to or want to get to, and maybe that's test or where they get to see the engine perform, or maybe it's paint where they can they can work with more of the finished product. But yeah, we're in short block now. It's a little bit more oily, right, with the yeah. nature of the work dropping in the. The crankshaft and, and stuffing pistons, you got some oil, so you get a little bit dirtier. Well, the crank being the, uh, the well, the crank and block really being the basis for the engine or the foundation, I would imagine there's a lot of pride that goes into uh, this part of assembly. Uh, an extreme amount of pride and ownership in this short block area. Uh, the processes have to be extremely tight around cleanliness and make sure we're not, not damaging any components as we put them in the, in the product. So yes, there, there's a lot of, lot of work that goes into this area. All right, so with a lot of manufacturing plants uh, that we've been to, there's obviously uh, a ton of tools that have been developed specifically for the line. And you can see here where everybody has a very specific tool. Uh, looks like you guys are using, uh, is it a mixture of air and electric? Is it all electric? Uh, for the torquing operations, we have a, uh, a little bit of a mixture between air and DC electric torque tools. But as the years have gone, we've progressed on our quality journey as well. We are, we are heavily focused on the amount of DC tools, Elite Electric smart tools that we have on this assembly line, as well as different layers of air proofing and, and certain fixtures that are tied into the assembly stations 
that do not let that engine progress from one station until the next until that engine is built correctly. So is it a computer program that knows exactly what the tool is doing and so it's basically doing a checkbox as that function is completed and then giving the operator a green light saying yes you've uh, Yes, you've done this correctly, and now it's time for the next station. That's correct. It's all integrated into our manufacturing execution system and tied in with PLCs that are checking to make sure, hey, when that engine pulls in, I know what data is on that carrier that has the engine on it. I'm sending that information to the operator, and there's certain lights and things that will not go out until everything is correct, and it will not advance. Just listen to the, uh, the sounds of the plant working right now. It's remarkable. The plant is really clean and very a lot of natural light in here, um, but it's not super noisy. You can hear things are going around and, and things are being done, but you know it's not like a plant that maybe 20 or 30 years ago. It's amazing how quiet it is. Yeah, in the time I've been here, um, we've actually gotten to now where in assembly there are not any stations in the assembly area that require hearing protection. So I remember starting in here 10 or 11 years ago, we had maybe two or three stations that still required that, yeah. but today you won't find it. That's amazing. Yeah, the main bearing caps are actually torqued with an automated piece of equipment that once it torques the caps, actually is engaging with the crankshaft and turning it over. Okay. And, and it's actually using one of those DC tools to take a reading on what is the torque to turn, the initial torque to turn oh, okay. to get that crankshaft spinning, and then we can try to detect any debris or anything that right. got into you, the bearings. You probably have a pretty precise measurement and you know exactly what that range is for a uh, quality engine. Yeah, this what we would call a tight crank maybe if something okay. needs to be analyzed. So we're now standing in front of the, uh, the camshafts that are being uh, installed into the blocks. And they come on these big uh, pallets on carts. Are the, uh, the carts are delivered, is this just in time manufacturing, whereas the parts are needed, they're getting them delivered to the station? That's correct. So uh, we do have an engineered material flow system within the plant that's, that's managed by our materials group and they have certain routes for their tuggers and their delivery system all throughout the plant just to deliver these parts to the station on an as-need basis. One thing that you'll find in this plant is we still do install uh, crankshafts manually mm -hmm. with a person. If you go yeah. to some other Cummins facilities or maybe some other engine manufacturers that are doing that with a machine, it's kind of there's some back and forth on that, but we like the feel for that operator to, to still stuff that cam and kind of feel any, uh, any disturbances. So the blocks are sliding on these uh, overhead trolleys. They're coming to the operator. The operator is uh, starting to install. Right now, uh, he's putting a cam in one of the blocks in front of us. And you can watch how he's twisting it and pushing it in and feeling you know, the, the right way to slide in. And there you have it. A, uh, a camshaft is now sitting in a brand new uh, 6, 7 Cummins. And of course, uh, they already have the gears on them. And you can see that the uh, timing in, uh, I guess it would be the oil, the oil pump gears are all together on that front drive. That's correct. So at this point, we've got the crankshaft in with the gear on it. Uh, we've got the oil pump in there with with its gears, and now we've made it up the uh, the cam and the camshaft gear with the, the crank gear. And what's he putting on? There's the oil coming out of that, a uh, basically a tool with needle, uh, a needle on it, and it looks like, like a clear synthetic sort of a oil. Is that just assembly lube, just to help him get it in there? Yep, that's correct. That's an assembly lube, and. Uh, He's got a special fixture there that meters the amount of lubrication we put on those those first journals of the crankshaft before we slide it in. And uh, a lot of the work is just around cleanliness and making sure we're applying the right amount of oil, not overdoing it, not under under applying or anything like that. So over applying just just attracts a lot of stuff, right? So what is the uh, piece that he puts in before the the camshaft? He's putting in a uh, a guide there. Okay. So that guide is going into the block. 
Um, it's obviously a little bit longer. It, it spans different journals inside the block um, to where as he stuffs that camshaft in, it, it's guiding that cam in and not letting it fall between between journals or anything. And he's also uh, using a barcode scanner to scan, I'm assuming, the QR code or the number of the, uh, the specific parts. So each part has a code on, tell you which batch they came from and things like that? That's correct. So a lot of our parts are uh, what we call heavy focus on traceability. So we scan a lot of parts on the assembly line. A couple different reasons to make sure, hey, we're looking for the part number. If we have a, a part that has different variation, we can make sure, hey, we installed the right part on that engine, and we can also send that information up to our database and say, hey, here's the manufacturer lot, the date it was made, any other information. If we need to go back at any point in time, say, hey, we had an issue here, we're gonna be able to track that down. Very cool. Now that the short block is assembled, the uh, the trolley is coming over to a, a, a new machine, and it's, you said it's picking up the block now and it's flipping it over? Yeah, that's correct. So up until this point in the process, the block has been head deck down on the carrier um, to allow us to do the work we need to do. But now we're getting ready to enter into our piston stuff area. So the, the machine is going to pick the block up off the carrier, turn it over 90 degrees and set it back down on its side so we can stiff, stuff pistons. We're watching a 6.7 uh, is on the trolley while another one is getting uh, spun just in front of it. So it's a pretty cool machine. It uh, picks it up and then just sort of an arm comes out and flips it and then it gets put back on the trolley in its new orientation, which is uh, on the side with the, uh, for us where we are, that would be the crank side, the bottom facing us. These pieces of equipment, we've got about uh, four pieces of equipment throughout this short block area that'll flip the block up and uh, put it in different orientations so we can do the work. At this point, how heavy is the block? I would say the block is probably between three and 400 pounds. Okay. How does that compare to the old Ray Iron block? Is there a big difference in weight? There's a significant difference. I th think it may be, I hate to say, I don't know the number for sure, but maybe 30 pounds, 30 to 40 okay. pound difference. All right, so we've uh, turned the corner, we've come to uh, station four, and it's sort of a, this is pretty novel. It's a, uh, I guess there's robots within plexiglass cases, but what they're doing is, the pistons are arriving on a little track and they're getting the rings installed by this uh, this machine and you're basically minting pistons right here. That's correct. So yeah, we do build pistons with automated equipment. So the operator basically just loads the components onto the machine, this, the individual components of the piston assembly and the machine takes care of installing the ream pack, uh, the connecting rod, wrist pins, snap rings, all that good stuff and it uh, puts out a completed finished piston at the end for the operator. And then at what point does it uh, get attached to the connecting rod? Right further downstream in the okay. same machine. It's a little bit of a lengthy machine, but as the, uh, the pallets with the individual pistons uh, progress through the machine, um, we go to different stages, the rings are installed, okay. and then we go down here uh, and we will install the connecting rod and the wrist pin and put the snap rings in and then uh, you've pretty much got a completed piston. So then uh, do they go out to meet the block in sets of six then? They do. and that. Uh, that machine we were just talking about that flipped the block over on its side yeah. is actually sending a signal to this machine and saying, hey, this engine, when it gets around the corner, it needs six of this type of piston. All right, if you've ever wanted to hear what a machine sounds like uh, putting piston rings together and, this is, and connecting rods uh, on uh, pistons, this is it. love the sound. I can just sit here and listen to that all day. It's like, uh, I don't know, audio art. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you can come cool. down here and relax on the, need a, need a break from the <laughs> need, hustle. Need the a plane. hammock. 
And then we've got, uh, here's all the trays. So we've got com completed pistons and connecting rods. And if I remember correctly, these connecting rods are a little bit different because the the caps are at an angle. Is that for assembly or? Yeah, the caps are angled there for the, the stuffing operation, the assembly of the cap for the operator. Okay. All right, so now we've got, uh, it's gone out of the automated machine and uh, the operators are, are now given the uh, pistons in sets of six and they're getting ready to, looks like, put them in the block. Yep, the, uh, the operators are received the pistons. We're taking the, the rod cap off, uh, doing some final cleanliness work on those, those assemblies, and then they will start working in pairs of two to install the rod bearings, and then the operators will, one side will stuff the, the piston in the bore, and then you have a receiving operator on the other side will receive it and put the cap on it. Now it's starting to look like something. You know, now you're starting to get the, uh, the pistons in the block, and I just feel bad for all the people who are Cummins fans out there right now who aren't standing where I am in the middle of the factory watching them stuff six pistons at a time into a uh, short block. You know, I've said this, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, it, if you want to be in manufacturing and, and work on a cool product, I, I mean, this is the place to be. The, the work environment, I mean, you can work in this plant all day for 30 years and, and have something different to do every day. So. And, and people have. <laughs> Many people have. It's a it's a very family-oriented family facility. We have multiple generations of families that come through here and continue to come through here, so that's something we're really proud of. Each individual piston is arriving one at a time and the operator is pulling the caps and then setting them in a, uh, I guess a tray for the next guy to be able to have all the parts ready to go. And then it slides on the trolley to the next station where they actually start stuffing the pistons in. So to describe what's going on, the, uh, the block is on his side and the operators get the pistons and they're on a tray that sits on top of the block. And obviously as the crank is in different positions, you uh, start the outside pistons and then the next station does, looks like the, uh, the next set inside and then finally the center pistons. And what's really cool is you guys have like a Delrin, well first there's a, a tool that clamps around the rings to compress them. And then there's like a Delrin tool or cylinder that pushes it through the other side while there's another tool that captures the rod from the back end and it just goes through in one fluid motion. It's really, really cool to watch. Yeah, we've got several tools and fixtures in these stations just to make sure that we uh, we install that piston properly without damaging the, the bore or the piston. And as you mentioned, we've got the Mylar guide, which kind of keeps the keeps the bore from getting scratched as we insert the piston. And then we've got the, the Delrin uh, plunger there that we, we push the piston in to minimize any uh, any damage to the head of the piston when we do that. And I love the uh, the way the bowl on these 6.7, the new 6.7 pistons are with that really high center. It's just a really cool looking uh, looking piece. All right, and then I guess we'll watch this block here. Goes to the robot next. That's correct. We've come out of the last uh, stuff station where we've installed the last two pistons. Um, then every engine will go through this next uh, automated assembly cell where this uh, big orange robot comes in and uh, applies the final torque uh, to the rod cap bolts. And then we also do an, another quality check. We're spinning that crankshaft over inside that machine to see, hey, we've got the, the connecting rods and pistons installed to the crankshaft. Let's see how that thing's turning right now. So we've crossed over to the other side. So we're watching the, uh, the crank side, so the piston side. So we're watching the second operator. And as uh, the first operator is pushing in the piston from the back end, the second operator is attaching the cap on the back end. And it's one really fluid, seamless motion. And 
they're basically just lightly tightening them uh, and then the robot will take over from here but it's really cool it's, it's a very choreographed uh, move and you can tell that uh, the assemblers have been doing this for a long time yeah these folks have really got this down to a science and uh, once they apply that initial pre-torque they actually are highly trained to take that rod cap and do what we call the wiggle test it's a it's a highly technical yeah right, very, te very yeah. technical so they do the wiggle test on that rod that cap to see if it's got the uh, amount of play in it that it should have if not then there may be something that has went awry in the process maybe got some kind of debris in that cap and they will take it back down and, and look for that that debris and get that corrected and the uh, the assembly team uh, on this side is scraping off excess gasket material yeah so the rear seal assembly and the rear seal carrier uh, we put a gasket between that and the block and that's got a little bit of a gasket protruding from the uh, what we call the T-joint, I guess, and uh, they will trim that excess gasket off. Again, just listening to the sounds of assembly, the uh, tools really are that quiet. We're just watching a, uh, a newly minted 6.7 go rolling by. It's now going to go roll into uh, the robot, and the robot is a big orange arm that's in a cage, and it is going to spin the crank on its own, hit those, uh, those rod caps, and then it'll spin again and hit the next set. And uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to watch the robot. All right, so uh, now the, uh, the blocks are coming out of the, uh, the robot cage. And uh, it looks like they are installing, I guess it would be a bed plate on the underside. Yeah, that's correct. So we've came out of the, the rod, rod torque machine. Um, we've also just came out of what we call our in-process verification machine. So this is our IPV machine. So to this point in short block, now that we've got the piston stuff in the block, we've got the crankshaft installed, camshaft, and all that good stuff, um, we're doing a lot of checks in this machine. So it is our first really in-process check to make sure that engine is, is performing the way it should. So uh, crank timing, cam timing, piston cooling, nozzle flow, wow. um, crank in play, lots of metrics are being checked in that machine. How often does a machine like that need to be recertified to make sure that it's within tolerance? Because that's, that has to be a a pretty finite piece of machinery for measuring, right? Yeah, so that's, we do have a dedicated uh, gauge and calibration lab in the building, mm -hmm. right? So they take care of a lot of the calibrations and certifications on the equipment. Some of them, I mean, there's variations in the frequency of calibration. A lot of the big automated equipment is either six months or a year. That's actually a lot of a lot of engines and a lot of time. It's it's more reliable or, or, or more accurate than maybe I would have thought. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, we monitor, and you know, you see that dashboard there, you, yeah. you're monitoring the data constantly and you know, quality folks are always looking at that. Manufacturing engineers are looking at that constantly. So, so we're looking at graphs that basically show the every engine that goes through and tolerances and there's uh, two red lines that I'm assuming is sort of normal. What happens when there's an outlier that goes through? Does it get pulled from the line at this point or? Yes, if we see something that drops out in the machine or, or fails the test that we're performing for a particular feature, uh, the, the system automatically rejects that engine. And then after this machine, we actually, the line it has a loop. So if you oh, see yeah, the- see. Uh, Yeah, and the, there's a track in the ceiling yeah. where it can go back. So the monorail there, the overhead monorail that drives the conveyor, uh, if there's a reject, it'll take a left turn instead of progressing down the assembly line. And then our offline trained technicians, which we call like our line call support group, they can come and address the issue with that engine and they can send it right back through the same process and get checked again. Very cool. That's awesome. So as we come out of those machines, as you mentioned, we, we put the bed plate on the engine and we're starting to get towards the end of our short block assembly area. So we're kind of buttoning up this bottom end. So bed plates going on, the uh, loop cooler core, loop cooler housing, as being installed, and then we'll put the 
the, uh, the water outlet and the bed oil pan on, and we'll pretty much wrap up short block. All right, and then uh, what's the next station after it leaves the uh, short block area? So we flip that block over again. We got another big rollover machine. We like to nickname things around here. So that one down there is called Big Igor. Uh, <laughs> Big it's Igor. been here. It's been here a long time. He, he's he's pretty uh, pretty strong guy. So we will pick the block up. Uh, it's it's again is uh, head deck down at this point. We'll pick that block up. We're going to flip it over and we're going to put a head deck up, and we're going to set it over onto a long block carrier. And then we will continue through our long block uh, assembly area, and that engine will remain head deck up for the rest of its life. All right, well, let's, let's head over there. So is this Big Igor right here? This is Big Igor. Big Igor is a beast, and it's a, like we talked about a moment ago, Big Igor is flipping the block. Uh, the oil pans are on it. Basically, the, uh, the short block is done. Now, what's interesting is Big Igor is not only swapping it, but putting it on a new long block carrier. And there's another trolley, another monorail system that's basically picking it up while the short block, uh, block um, carriers return back to the front of the line to pick up the new short blocks. That's right. And you were uh, talking about how you can sort of tell how the plant's running by just standing in this one position we're at right now. That's right, Sean. So as an operations guy, I can come down here to this this piece of equipment or any of the managers we have on our team can come down to this piece of equipment and kind of get a good feel for what's going on in the plan at any given time. So as you mentioned, short block kind of runs as an independent loop. Once that uh, engine is pulled off the short block carrier, that carrier is going to go back over to block load and get a new engine. Um, we're going to transfer that engine over to a completely separate system of carriers, uh, which we call our long block carriers. It's got a different uh, pallet that the engine sets on through the, the duration of the assembly process. Um, so we're getting engines from short block and we're also getting empty carriers from the back of the house where engines have been taken off and those carriers are being sent back to Big Igor so I can really tell if I'm getting good good product flow throughout the plant at this piece of equipment. I'm mesmerized with Big Igor. It's not uh, the, the other uh, machine that flipped the block just sort of flipped the block. Big Igor picks it up and if you could imagine like maybe the top of a roller coaster or something where it's being lifted straight up overhead and putting back down so the and then it's being put down on a jig, but it's not like a simple flip. It's it's taking a ride up a carousel and being dropped down the other side, albeit controlled, but it's just very cool uh, watching it work. Yes, yeah, so we're doing a 180 degree turn of that engine uh, overhead, like you mentioned, and once it gets to the top of that, uh the apex of that machine, it uh, really has to kick in the controls and ease it down onto the Yeah, that's, onto the a, that's a lot of uh, mass it's controlling right there. Yep. You guys should see the size of the chain on this thing. It's a double chain uh, on a big sprocket. It's uh, it's definitely heavy duty. Obviously, uh, the six sevens are not a uh, not a petite or light engine by any means. They're very uh, very heavy duty, and it shows in the machinery they have moving these things around the assembly line. Coming over to the long block side, uh, probably should give a plug to our former plant manager that's retiring today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, he was instrumental and the guy had a knack for just picking out how these assembly lines should flow. So this is a recent project that uh, Chad's team has put in. This is what we call Rips Rail. You can see this. Oh yeah, Rips Rail. Rip. How um, many years did he work here? I think Rips got over 30 with the company. Oh my gosh, yeah. wow. Um, so Which is so rare today in, in today's yeah. climate that, that people spend that time with the company. It's amazing. So this was uh, this was one of his last uh, last projects that he pushed uh, to us to improve productivity in the plant. So what this is it basically acts as a buffer between short block and long block. So these engines uh, can come in. These are just ready to go engines. 
So if we have issues either on the long block side or short block side, we can, we can maintain production for some amount of time with this buffer. So we're probably looking at a line that has maybe 30 engines in a row, all on trolleys, if we look down the, the throat of, uh, of Rip's rail here. And uh, if you imagine the, the overhead monorail system kind of makes a, uh, a wide turn and then does a 180 and brings it back down the line. And uh, we've got blocks that are uh, swinging around right now. Of course, the pistons are installed. Uh, the way they're configured right now is the uh, outside pistons, one and six, are at top dead center. And uh, they've got the oil pans, and uh, they're looking uh, looking like a complete long block. So from this point... Yeah, we've actually come out of short block. We're going to head down this aisle. We're going to go into the long block area. Uh, long block one and two, there's two legs, kind of like short block, but they are much longer than the short block area. Okay. And we have a lot more... Uh, people-related processes in this long block area than we did in short block. In short block, you've seen a lot of automated equipment yep. and seen machinery. Once we get over into to long block here, you're going to see a lot of people uh, putting this engine together. When a lot of the pieces of long block are, are more, um, you know, time-consuming, whether it's you know, I, I'm guessing everything from front accessory drives and head and EGR tubes and things that aren't going to be as easy for a robot to do. That's right. Yeah, a lot of the plumbing, uh, coolant plumbing, oil supply lines, uh, all the fuel system, right? Yep. So fuel lines, fuel pump, uh, the, the rail, the common rail is all installed in this, this long block area. So uh, really dependent on, on our folks to put these things together. All right, well, let's go uh, watch some long blocks get assembled. Uh, we're just walking by a display here that shows the fuel system basically floating out in space to show you which components uh, are the fuel system. So it's got the rail, the injectors, the fuel pump. Uh, what type of fuel pump is being used on the 6.7? This is uh, uh, the Bosch pump, uh, the CP, CP4 pump. All right, check it out. We're going to keep walking down the line here. And now we're getting into a lot more people. That's right, so we're in, entering our uh, first assembly team in Long Block, so this is kind of where the fuel system assembly starts. Uh, one of the first stations in this area is putting the fuel pump on. Um, then we will be reinstalling the cylinder heads, so this gentleman uh, behind the line here is actually loading cylinder heads into our head wash machine. So we uh, send the cylinder heads through a washer that washes the uh, injector and the high-pressure connector board, so anything that's related to fuel in that head is getting a flush. Clean. Yep, got to be super clean. Yeah, you don't want to have any contamination, obviously, with the injectors. On the 6.7, you have uh, the injector rail pressure is 2,000 bar, about 28,000 PSI, which is really high. Um, and uh, we're looking at the, the, the CP4 pumps going on. And I'm in front of me right now is a pallet of CP4 pumps. And I know there's a lot of CP3 fans out there, but I'm sure if you had a pallet of CP4 pumps in your garage, you'd probably figure out what to do with them. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, and literally, let's see, the, the, a pallet of them is like 20, I guess? They're uh, 20, 40, so they're multiple layers. Uh, hey, Steve, can we, uh, can we put one of these in our pocket? Sure. Can you fit it in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> How about a 6.7? If I can fit it in my pocket, can I take one out of here? You can carry it out. You can take it. <laughs> All right, you heard it. i got to figure that out. <laughs> Looks like they are putting head gaskets on. Yep, so we're uh, installing our, our water pump and then uh, putting the, the head gasket onto the engine right before we drop that uh, big cylinder head down on the, on, the, on the deck. And we can see the cylinder head is on the, uh, the line just adjacent to them, so they're running parallel with each other. Yeah, so right parallel to the main assembly line that uh, 
talk about that head wash machine it's got its own conveyor so the the heads that we can see here actually have come out of that wash process and they will make a, a 90 degree turn come in right behind the main line operator they'll use the hoist to pick it up and, and set it down on the head deck well one thing he's doing is checking the valves in to make sure nothing's bent with that gauge okay and then they'll uh, start putting the injectors in he's running down the uh the bolts with a skirted socket there that's yeah. just a pre run down to a certain height and then that machine down there will do the final head tech, head board. it's leaving and it's got a basically uh, completed head on it now it does have a completed head on it the the heads are basically complete uh, when we receive those from our rocky mount engine plant our sister plant that machines the heads for us yep. and, and assembles them and we basically just drop them on the engine and, and run the bolts down there he goes he just dropped one on there he's moving the overhead uh, arm out of the way attaching it to the next head and he's going and again checking the uh, the valve stems. Uh, springs are already on the valves, and there he goes with the socket. You might be able to hear him. All right, it looks like the uh, the next guy is throwing in injectors. That's correct. So we've uh, we've got our next assembly team. The uh, line of uh, delineation between the teams is the, the head install so the next team is working on our fuel injectors um, first station here is dropping all six injectors into the into the bores in the head um, very critical process as you can see behind that operator they have their own tv monitor there yeah. that is continuously playing a training video around how how critical the fuel system is how handling of the fuel injectors she might have done. one of the most important jobs in the uh, whole plan absolutely uh, they're all important but this is very critical yeah because this this is uh, you know could be a huge cause of warranty concerns there's any contamination or anything's not installed precisely absolutely any damage any contamination so you can see they're capped uh, the nozzle end has caps on it as well so she also has to install the collar onto the injector so there's a, a very defined process of removing caps and reinstalling caps and dropping that in the engine and, and where you can touch the injector and, and just all kinds of parameters we're controlling. Looks like the caps are coming off of the uh, fuel injectors now? Caps are coming off, we're installing the, the cross heads onto the valve stems and then uh, there's a machine that torques the, the head bolts down. Uh, 26 spindle machine, torch them all, all at once. And now we're at the station, the uh, the fuel filter is installed on the side of the engine. At this point, the rockers are on top of the valve train and they're putting in, I guess that's the front accessory drive? Yep, putting the, the front accessory drive cover on so we uh, a machine behind the line there applies a, a bead of form in place gasket um, and then we will install that cover. And then on the other side of the line, they're installing the, the transmission adapter to the to the back of the engine. Awesome. So now the next the next station we're at has the uh, the common rail fuel rail uh, on pallets, and uh, basically they're being delivered to the the assembly team just as they need it. And it looks like they're doing the common rail as well as some fuel lines at this point. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, you mentioned the common rails are all delivered. You can see them packaged on nice pallets being delivered to the line. Everything's capped off. Uh, to pre prevent any intrusion of debris or contamination in the system. So the rail is put on. It's another one of those parts where we're scanning that barcode, making sure we trace all the information in that part, tying that to that particular engine. And then as the next few stations, as we progress, we're gonna start installing the, the high pressure fuel lines themselves. Now we're really starting to look like an engine. We've got the, uh, the lines on, the rails on, and then what's this robot here do? Well, this, uh, this set of robots in this cell here, we've got two robots, which uh, we put in a few years back, but this was our automated valve lash set equipment. So these, these robots used to set the valve, 
valve lash in the overhead. And now you don't need that anymore. Well, with the uh, <laughs> installation of the hydraulic lash adjusters, that's something that we, we do no longer have to do to the engine. But we did not let this machine go to waste. Uh, we are repurposing that machine to do some other quality checks. So you can see that robot yep. is probing that rocker height to make sure those crossheads are seated correctly and there's nothing uh, outside the normal variation we would see in the height of that rocker. And if, if something falls out, we'll kick it into another loop. The uh, technicians will come take a look at that engine and make any necessary repairs. How long is the line? If uh, we were obviously walking the whole line today, how, how far are we walking to create an engine? I don't know the distance if you uh, stretched out all the assembly lines, but it's about 196 stations where we have an operator to put this wow. thing together. Once we load that block on the beginning of the engine or beginning of the assembly line, it's about a six-hour journey from from block load till it comes off and is put in the skid off the back. So it looks like at this point we've got an ECU and wiring harnesses are starting to get attached to the engine. That's correct. So we're getting into some of that area where we're we're heavily uh, people dependent. Dennis. Uh, yes. Hey, Dennis. How are you? Good morning. Uh, you had a, a bowl of uh, candy. Yes, I sure did. <laughs> He's the, every tour that comes through here. He's the welcome guy. It's a holiday or not. So uh, how long have you been at Cummins? 17 years. How many of the stations have you worked at? Oh, about a third of them in here. I've been to Cummins twice. The first time I was hired in 69, the 50th anniversary, and I'm still here on the 100th anniversary. <laughs> but you don't, you don't look a day over 25. Well, I did when I came here. <laughs> Dennis is a staple. <laughs> all right, Dennis uh, has a bowl of candy for all the tours. Love it. All right, so now we're uh, the trolley is crossing over in front of us, and it looks like uh, we're starting to get, uh, is that the EGR setup that's on top? Yeah, so you, now you see the EGR setup. The whole exhaust uh, setup, basically minus the turbocharger, has been installed on the engine. So we've got this other leg here that kicks off the main assembly line. And on this sub-assembly line, they're putting together the exhaust manifold, the EGR cooler, uh, the bypass valve, the chimney is all being installed on its own separate pallet system. And once that whole assembly reaches the end of the sub-assembly line, the operator picks that up with a manipulator and slaps the whole exhaust one, system on the side. One unit right on yep, there. One unit. All right, so now the uh, line is doubling back on itself once again. That's correct. We're going to... We're going to take another double back here and, and do a 180 and start down the second leg of long block. Looks like we're in a holding area for wiring harnesses and turbos. There's a huge pallet of uh, turbos right here. Yeah, turbocharger subassembly line right here. So we're putting a few fittings in the turbo, wrapping up the wire harness, and getting it set on these pallets in these special carts that are delivered to the line side. And they'll, this cart will mate up with another stationary rack on the assembly line. And these special, each turbo is on an individual pallet and that'll roll down in sequence to the operator and they'll pick it off this pallet with a special hoist, put it right on the engine. And so each uh, turbo pallet looks like it has about 12 turbos sitting on it. That's correct. Each cart uh, we take to the line has 12 turbos. All right, and as we come in uh, and double back here, we're starting to get to the, uh, the final assembly of, uh, these almost look like finished engines at this point. Now the uh, turbo racks we just saw previously are have been delivered to the station we're currently at and they're starting to bolt on the uh, turbos right now. So this big red hoist here they'll pick that uh, it's a very smart hoist that can sense weights and positions and position the turbo correctly at the angle that needs to mount to the manifold um, so it takes very little effort from the operator to pick that thing up and, and it'll just go right on to the to the joint in the manifold. And in case people are wondering the 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 line doesn't move at a constant speed everything sort of is staccato it it goes to one station, pauses for a little bit. But I would say, you know, it's probably a little slower than a person is walking. We're starting to pass a few engines, but back there a few engines were passing us. Just depends at where you're at in the assembly process. 
Yeah, we've, we've kind of went to a catch and release strategy. So engine comes in the station, the operator does their work. Once they, they clear their lights and hit their button that they're done, they can take off. We're wrapping up this second leg of long block, so we're doing some final connections with uh, coolant plumbing, oil plumbing, um, putting on some lifting brackets and getting uh, some of the hard final hardware on. And then this leg right in front of us, so the main line has been flowing single file to this point. But right here, we're entering our leak test stands. Okay. So here we're going to do our first leak check of the engine. Um, we have five active spurs in this area, so the main line comes in single file, and that engine will kick out to an open spur just for cycle time purposes. That leak test runs a little bit longer than the main line. So we've got five legs in here for capacity. So we're doing a full leak check on the, uh, the systems of the engine. So air, oil, fuel, and water are all being checked. Wow. Um, make sure we don't have any leaks anywhere in, in that system. You can see a set of fixtures in these spurs that the operators will, will hook up to the uh, different interfaces, the turbocharger, water inlet, things like that, to seal off the, uh, the cavities and pressurize those and leak check them. Do all engines get hot tested? Is there a percentage of engines that get hot tested? Or are they cold tested on a, uh, on a dyno? How does that usually work? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's, uh, we'll answer that question. There's a little bit of everything you mentioned there. So as the engine comes out of leak test, um, we are now going to enter our functional test area. So every engine that we produce, 100% goes through cold test, 100% through a hot attribute, what we call an attribute test. So it's an unloaded test. Everything is ran through cold test. Cold tests have been critical to our, our quality journey in this plant. So engine is not fired. It's just, it's cold motored, spun with an electric motor. A lot of channels of data are being collected. We've got metrics around hundreds of those channels that we monitor from a quality perspective. And then uh, once we finish cold test, they all go through an unloaded hot test basically go and take an engine up to high idle, no dyno, um, just basically checking the, the fuel system, make sure everything's functioning there. And then uh, a percentage of the engines are selected for what we call an audit test, which is a dyno tear test. Down and well, we do that on a frequency as well, but okay. one in 35 will be pulled offline and put in our brick and mortar test cells for a loaded dyno test. Wow. So once the engine is done and complete and it gets palletized, I guess it goes out the door for shipping. Is that signed off at that point? That's correct. So there's a lot of systems in place. Once the engine comes off the back, it's it's scanned in the system. It's in different statuses, and maybe we can make sure there's no final quality checks that have to be completed on an engine before it's shipped out or it's put into shipping status, and then it goes on a truck. And that's it. That's, that's it. how the 6.7 is born. You got it. Awesome, Kyle. We appreciate your time walking yeah. us through the plan, and we're going to uh, see if we can find some uh, some more colorful characters that work here at Cummins and uh, see what they have to say. Yeah, we're, we're real proud to show off for people. We want to get you connected there. So. Okay, well, appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, so I'm still at the uh, the engine plant here, and who am I with? Uh, my name is Dana Sims. And how long have you been at Cummins? Um, in March of 2020, it will be 20 years. Uh, that is a long time for one place. It's Congratulations. A very long time. Thank that you. doesn't happen Thank anymore, you. right? Uh, it doesn't happen very often. So, what has kept you at Cummins? Um, well, for me, I started out and literally it was just, hey, I need a job that pays better. <laughs> um, and so I kind of went through third shift. I started out third shift assembly line. I came to day shift and I kind of jumped between different jobs. For me, um, it's exciting to do different things and we have the opportunity once a year to kind of sure. switch jobs and do different things. Um, and then I had the opportunity to move to our training group. And so I moved to our training group and I've been in that role since 2012. So are you training new employees coming in on yep. different processes? Yep. So we own teaching online people how to train new people. Okay. So we, we're the train the trainer kind of yeah, sort of sure. teaching them the skill set of how to yep. do that. But we also do a lot of classes. So we teach um, 
Kaizen classes, we teach waste classes, we teach um, problem solving classes. So the idea is to have, um, I call it a dangerous workforce. Yeah. Right? We want to give them the skill set to see things that are going sure. on in front of them, yeah. understand their roles and how they can change things yeah. if they want to. So have you done most of the uh, manufacturing here, like each station, are you? I have absolutely done every station. Not only that, um, I have a partner um, named Ronnie, I think you'll meet later. Ronnie okay. and I actually teach an engine familiarization class. Okay. So we teach people to tear down an engine and then put that engine back together. So that they know all the pieces and parts. Yeah, pieces and, and, and parts, yeah. how they work, how they work okay. together, what their roles and functions are. So I guess that's are. a good point. You're not necessarily, while Cummins has a huge enthusiast following, you may not be hiring enthusiasts. You're hiring somebody for manufacturing and they may not know how an engine works I, or what it does. I hired in at 18 years old and I couldn't check the oil in my own car. <laughs> right. So, so now I'm teaching people how to stuff yeah. pistons and cams, things I never thought I would do. What was your favorite job on the assembly line? Um, I actually really enjoy cam stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, one of those jobs I cried when I learned how to do the job. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm not coming well, back. Well, it takes a little bit of it, skill, right? Because it, you have to have the right feel. The right feel, the right finesse, make sure it's level when not you Not scratch stuff up it. the cam. Not yeah. scratch <laughs> the, or not, yes, not scratch the bushings. It, it's, it's one of those jobs that's terrifying to learn it. Yeah. But once you learn it, you're like, oh, I really love this job. It's super easy. Yeah, so is this uh, is this your home for your career then? This is this will be in one way, shape, or form. Manufacturing in this building will be my home forever. I was just telling these guys I have 30 more years before I can retire. <laughs> so I've already done 20. What's 30 more? So I wonder what the uh, the, the Ram uh, six seven will look like in 30 years. Oh, I have no. I don't know. Maybe it'll fly by then. <laughs> yeah, you know, that would really be pretty know. cool. So the other thing I would say that um, that keeps me here and kind of keeps me happy is that I have a brother that works here okay. and he's in our maintenance group. Uh -huh. I have a sister who works on the assembly oh, line wow. and my mom actually works with me in my team. Really? Yes. How cool is it for you to work with your mom every day? Um, it is, you know what, I enjoy, I get to have breakfast and lunch with my mom every day. We get to work with each other, bounce ideas off That's each other. That's awesome. Most people are like, oh Lord, no, I would never do that. And there's and literally people here who have three generations yep. who have come yep. through the plant, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, three or four generations, it's insane. And say and it's it's almost like once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. That's it. You don't right? want to leave. You know, you you come, you fall in love, and then you just don't leave. Uh, what would you tell somebody who wants to come work for Cummins? Don't be afraid if you don't know anything about engines. We will teach you're you. You're going to train them. We, I, you know what? I swore I would never work at a factory, <laughs> and and I'm hooked. And I well, will you know, stay it's, it and doesn't. I won't leave. It's not a factory in the sense that I think people think. It's really an assembly facility, right? And yes. It's clean. It's yes. airy. It's open. It's it's safe. It's it's not like. This dungy, dirty place no. with like slag being thrown no, around. It's, it's not a, a dungeon. No. It's not nearly as terrifying as you expect it to be. <laughs> the work is really easy because we want you to go home at the end of the day and still have the energy to do yeah. everything that you want to do when you're not here. I love it. And that that's the way the job is And that's just up. one of the reasons that people stay at Cummins for so yep, long. That's absolutely right. Well, uh, thanks for taking time with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Who am I with? Ronnie Jordan. All right. And uh, you're, we were just talking to your, your partner in crime a minute ago. And she told us a whole bunch of stories about you. Are any of them true? Um, I'm going to say maybe 80% of them. <laughs> so what do you do here? VPI, which is a pretty much new product, is what it stands for, value packaging introduction. Okay. Um, anytime we have any changes in the parts on the engine, any of the people downtown want to make a part cheaper, lighter, bigger, whatever, they send us the part, or they'll send us the prints for the part. We'll 3D print it. We'll see if we can fit it on the engine. 
and back in our build cell and then if it works there then we'll let them know then we'll get one actual made bolt it up run it run the engine and then we'll figure out how to set up to implement it online right because there's a, a million little jigs and tools that have to fit just right to deliver that part on time for the manufacturing process yes and that's another part that we're part of we have to come up with all the special tools that you see out online 3d printed ones the metal ones. do you guys make ranges. those yes so all of the specialized tools that are in the factory are made by you guys for carrying the parts not necessarily the robots but the jigs and things for your individual yeah. parts yeah the we'll do like the first iteration of them and then if we like need multiple of them because the tools break yeah. then we'll outsource that but, okay but yeah we, our machine shop in the back we'll come up with the design we'll machine it back there and then we'll bring it out to the line and see if we can implement it and turn it into where it can be put on and installed in 70 seconds so how long have you been at cummins uh 16 years and do you have any family members here no, I do not. Well, you're you're uh, the first generation. Well, Joe, Joe's my family. He's he's my brother. All right, we got from we, another mother. So. <laughs> we got Joe coming up next yeah. here. So, what has been your favorite experience of working at this factory and working uh, with with Cummins? Uh, man, I have a lot of passion for Cummins. I have several generations of Cummins trucks. So, uh, I've worked on them before I come here. I was a mechanic out in the field. So. Now that I actually get to put some of these parts on the engine, and test run them, and dyno run them, and see what we're uh, what's coming down the pipeline for the future, sure. uh, is pretty awesome. So I have to say that's that's the biggest thing that I love about this place. How excited were you for the changes to the six seven for the twenty nineteen Rams? Uh, quite Being a, a Cummins guy, right? I mean, you've yeah. you've seen the five nine twelve valves, twenty four valves, six sevens, and now this next generation six seven. Yeah, I was real excited whenever. Uh, as we started on this 2019 plan about six years ago, so we've been working on uh, introducing this. I was at this plant about three years ago, and yeah. you guys had a few test blocks coming down the line. Oh, did and you? And I saw one, yeah. and I looked at Sanders. He goes, you didn't see that. I go, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. All right, I'm here with, uh, with Joe. Joe, what's your last name? Creamer. All right, and you've been here for how long? 20 years. 20 years. How's it feel to be at Cummins for 20 years? Pretty good. Yeah. What do you Pretty do? Good. We uh, work on the F tube assembly team. We install it, the vertical cab turn, and uh, they come up with a new collar to keep it pretty much centered. Okay. We use some of Ronnie's specialty tools to <laughs> kind of <laughs> clamp it together, you know, hold everything together, but it's a fabulous setup. What's your favorite part of, uh, of working here? Probably the people. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has been awesome. We've been doing things with Cummins for a long time, and, and Cummins has always been a gracious host, but you guys who are on the floor in manufacturing are, are always top-notch, and it's always a, uh, a thrill for us to come down and get a chance to talk to you guys. It's like one big happy family, pretty much. You know? do, you, do you have any family that works with you here? No, I don't. Okay. A number of people were talking about their mom or their sister or their brother, right. their dad, their grandpa, their uncle, and right. it seems like that's a theme that runs throughout, especially this facility. No, I'm the one and only. <laughs> so that's why you have so many brothers from another mother. Right. <laughs> Any, uh, anything you want to tell all the Cummins enthusiasts out there? Because we got a ton of them that are listening right now, and they want to know what Joe from Cummins has to say to them. Get one and enjoy it. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, man. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it. I can only imagine the Cummins employees are awesome. Yeah, you know, everybody there is just uh, salt of the earth, hardworking, a lot of pride in that place, as you can tell by our interview. Um, obviously, they believe in the product, they use the product, they drive the product, all that stuff. 
But what you might find interesting is when you think of Cummins, what do you think about? The sound. Okay. Uh, reliability. Okay. Mm. What if I told I you- I don't know what else. What if I told you they made a soundless product? Uh, they uh, Electric motor of some sort? So Cummins is looking at the future and have a number of different uh, paths that they're taking. And Cummins wants to uh, be looked at as your driveline solution company. So whether you need diesel, whether you need propane or natural gas, or whether you need electric. And I mean, so smart. They're I working mean, on hydrogen and I mean, look, we, we may, I don't know, I mean, we, I don't know. Yeah, I think we may live, well, depending on how many hot dogs we eat, you know, chili <laughs> well, dogs. I might only be here um, another week. But I'm saying that we might live to see the end of fossil fuel vehicles. I don't think so. No? Not in our lifetime, no. Not in another 50 years? I don't think so. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. Well, so Cummins has been around 100 years. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to the next 100 yeah, years. Absolutely, so okay. they, they have to position themselves. So a lot of people might not understand that Cummins actually has a division that's working on electrification, and that could be a hybrid, it could be fuel cell, it could be electric, and they're starting with buses and semi-trucks, and Steve ended up getting us a tour where I got to ride around in a all-electric semi-truck and talk to the guy who's overseeing the program and show us a bunch of the trucks they're working on for uh, technology that'll be for sale literally within the next couple of years. And so a bunch of big class eight trucks and uh, medium duty trucks all taken apart, getting fuel cells and batteries and a bunch of stuff put in. Uh, a couple were demonstrators and they're doing you know a bunch of different fleet testing and just all sorts of stuff going on. So he's like, do you want to go check out some of our others? Like, You're like, hell yeah. I'm like, yeah, with all, you know, with, with Rivian and Tesla truck and all that. Of course. Like, yeah, I, I want to tell our people about so, it. So, but we've been talking about the, and, and I don't want to spoil the, the piece in yeah. here. So big rigs are like the hardest thing to crack. It's got to go from one end of the country to the other. Yeah. There's nothing that packs a punch power-wise uh, like like fossil fuels. So, Or is that the case? Well, again, well, I mean, this fossil is what fuels, we've been saying. Right. Fossil fuels have range, but all that torque is zero RPM. What but, if, well, okay, what if this? How, how about I told you there's technology on the way that you could recharge a big rig in 15 minutes and get several hundred miles of range out of it? I would be surprised. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's let's visit this portion of our uh, of our final Cummins. Uh, I don't know uh, city tour, company tour. C- Cummins episode. Cummins episode. Yes. Uh, with a little bit of uh, the future. All right. Uh, this is Holman and uh, Hey Sanders. Get over here. Where did you uh, Where did you take me today? We are at CMIC, one of our uh, new pilot center facilities for uh, all things Cummins on wheels. All right. And who am I standing with today? Uh, I'm Ron Hale. I'm the Systems Engineering and Customer Engineering Director for Electrification. So uh, we are standing in, I guess, a, a garage or a shop that has a bunch of uh, Class 8 big rigs that are all torn apart with all sorts of not internal combustion engines. What's going on in this place? I think everybody expects Cummins is all about the diesel, but the reality is Cummins is about any sort of technology that will move you. So let's talk about this building and your, your your mission a little bit. Sure, yeah, this building uh, as a whole manages uh, uh, the maintenance and service on a fleet of over 400 vehicles in southern Indiana, uh, mostly diesel product. Right now though, we're standing around about seven different trucks that range from school buses, class eight, class seven, uh, class five, uh, act trucks that um, are at any different stages of electrification, being converted from a diesel product to a full electrified product, whether they're EVs only or hybrid fuel cell systems, 
uh, or ultra-fast induction charging systems. But you have, uh, we're you have Cummins on your shirt. How, how is that possible? <laughs> it is possible because for over a decade, Cummins has been working on electrified products. Uh, not cool. so verbally or not, not so publicly, sure. but behind the scenes, yeah. And this is sort of the fruits of the labor. Obviously, uh, we were out not too long ago for um, the some of the electric products that were sort of a tease to the media. But what you have here is actually quite far along and, and things that will be in production probably the next two to three years. Absolutely. We're testing uh, the latest and greatest medium-duty, heavy-duty um powertrain systems that are here and control solutions for this even that we're standing five feet away from our fuel cell truck that was released at NACV this year and so this is all technology obviously as you guys learn and you get into the space and you work on electrification of these big rigs you're also having learnings that could trickle down into the light duty trucks as well at some point and just as it, as Cummins is a supplier of powertrains in the diesel market or natural gas you guys would do that from the electrification side as well. Absolutely, yeah. We've got other groups working a lot on medium-duty products. We've got a lot of things in the field that they're teaching us, and also we are teaching the rest of the group, and so it's kind of a joint sharing back and forth about the learnings. So let's talk about the Class 8 trucks, because I think that's probably the, the ones that most people are, would be familiar with, a big rig, and excited about. Maybe talk to the, the benefits of electrification and the difference between all electric versus uh, fuel cell, and then how those trucks fit into the marketplace in, in different use cases. Sure, well, the first thing you're gonna notice is when you get in the vehicle, um, the sound is tremendous, right? The acceleration is phenomenal. It's it's nothing like the diesel product anymore. No, it's, and it's so really quiet and smooth. We took a ride in the parking lot in, in the AOS concept, which is uh, what we had seen a while ago, and I was struck by how smooth it rides and just how quiet. I mean, there's almost no sound whatsoever. Yeah, and, and AOS is a direct drive system, right? So no transmissions to shift through. Uh, and some of the Class 8 trucks, no longer do we have 13 gears. We've got, you know, just a, less than a handful of gears to run through. And so your shift times are more spread out. Uh, the acceleration is more fun and enjoyable to drive. Uh, it's a, and regenerative braking also as another benefit. All the braking you get today on the diesel engine, you're going to get exactly that same amount uh, from a diesel engine, whether you apply a Jake brake type technology or just normal start and stop application, you're going to get a lot of regenerative braking, saving on brakes, mechanical brakes, um, recouping some of the energy that's lost, not burning it off through mechanical brakes. So, yeah. So do the electrified products that you're working on have the same payload as a, a standard internal combustion engine product? Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, We've got in the shop here 80,000 pound trucks, capable systems. Uh, we've also got, you know, uh, class five trucks that are here. So you get you, you maintain the same capacity. Uh, you might see, I would say, 1,000 to 2,000 pounds more on your tractor weight uh, by having the system in place, but it all depends on the mission you're trying to achieve. Sure. So if you just want short, you know, stop, start type operation, you're not gonna see quite a bit of impact. If you want to go with longer range, you're probably going to go away from the EV-only application and move into a range-extended type system, which is more like the fuel cell hybrid sitting here. So the fuel cell acts as a range extender, going to give you anywhere from 200 to 250 miles of range, depending upon how much fuel cell and how much hydrogen you want to put on board, in addition to your electric battery capacity. So if you're looking at one of these trucks, obviously we won't get into pricing since they're not out yet, but where would the benefit be to a fleet owner? Is it in maintenance? What is the maintenance of an electrified vehicle like compared to a traditional diesel-powered vehicle? Well, most certainly you're going to have less maintenance, right? 
certainly on the um, on the braking system, there's going to be less maintenance. You know, you have uh, no oil changes to be made. You know, you've got a cooling system that's uh, a normal glycol, water ethylene glycol coolant system. Um, but essentially, the maintenance is very limited. Uh, electrical systems have been around for many years. Electric cars were around before the diesel pro- sure. car, right? So yeah. um, the, the reliability of the product is unfounded, right? So we'll maintain, if not exceed, our current Cummins reliability today. But otherwise, it's I think it goes much farther beyond the how many times you need to go into the shop. It's more about what kind of integration you can start to get. Uh, with Cummins digital connectivity products that we're going to be providing, you know, you're now able to connect much simpler and have more fleet management capabilities on your hands and your fingertips with the electrified systems. So what's the future of electrification within Cummins and then where do you see this technology going? Is it going to eventually replace, do you think, the internal combustion engine or is it going to be a tapestry and it'll just be one of the products depending on use and you'll just have a, a menu of things that you can offer your customers? Right, so great question. Um, a lot of people think that we're all just moving right to electrification. Sure. And I think Cummins' position has been clear that we are not just shifting to electrification, but it's going to be one of the power of choices, right? So depending upon what you're trying to achieve with the vehicle you're going to buy, um, we're going to help to, to shape the right recommendation to you. That might be a natural gas engine, it might be a diesel powertrain, it might be an electrified product that's only electric or a hybrid system. It's all about what you need to get your mission done. And that's all stuff that you're able to do in-house. You're building the, the components yourself and designing them. What does it look like in, you have the, the traditional world of, of trucks, but now you have Nikola and Tesla and, and some of these other manufacturers entering the big rig space with a, you know electric and um, hybrid and fuel cell. How does Cummins fit in? Cummins isn't traditionally been known for this technology. How do you prove that the Cummins C is just as valuable to the end user who's already your customer in this new technology. I could tell you a great story or I could just actually talk about where we're standing again. We like stories. Right, so we're, we're standing in the Cummins Machine Integration Center. Our staff that's working on this are the folks that have been working on those diesel trucks right over there mm-hmm. for the last 20, 30 years. So it's those people that are helping us on the engineering side develop this product so that it still matches what the customer needs. Are you seeing a, a pretty strong response from the industry looking forward to these vehicles hitting the road? Um, what, what's that excitement level like for both the drivers and the companies that have to purchase these trucks? Uh, well, how did you like AOS? Did you enjoy it, driving it? It was very you interesting. Excited? Yeah, no, it was very cool. It was it rode great. It was super quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, it honestly, as big as it is, it was it's a class eight. As big as it is, it felt like it a, still a golf cart. Yeah, I mean, it was just instant <laughs> feedback and you know everything about it, minus all the noise that you would have with the traditional big rig. What I would say is that um, I would encourage everybody out there on the road to if you see a, a, a truck show in your area. Mm-hmm. And right now, a lot of the truck shows are having ride and drive events with mm-hmm. electric vehicles. Stop by and drive one because I think it's all about the experience. Yeah. Um, you will get a product from Cummins that meets the durability and reliability expectations. You're going to get the same amount of service you get from Cummins today um, that's best in industry. You're going to also then get the experience of driving this electric vehicle. It's quiet, it's relaxing, it's got much more connectivity, and um, it's going to be extremely reliable and durable in the long term. I'm a hardcore diesel guy, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I definitely spending time with you guys today is, I, I can see the future. You, uh, you're swaying me a little bit, 
Um, I can definitely see the benefits, especially in urban environments where maybe there's you know um, noise standards or a lot of stop and go. Um, one other question I think is about recharging. Obviously, the batteries are really big. You talked about mm-hmm. a few different uh, charging technologies working on a, even a uh, inductive charging mat that the truck could drive over. What does that look like? What, what would be the times for a truck like this to recharge to be able to get back out on the road? So just like the battery technology in the industry right now, it's, it's evolving very rapidly. Charging is also evolving very rapidly. And so at the moment, though, you can see a truck that you know is in the shop here, you, know, you will be able to charge at, depending upon what you have available to you from infrastructure, you could charge it at 18 kilowatts, which might take four or five hours to charge such a system. Mm-hmm. But you could also charge it fast DC charging, which would take about uh, 30 minutes to charge that okay. full system. So it depends on what you have available to you and what your battery can actually take. Now, another system we talked about over here that has uh, more than twice as much battery capacity as what I just described, it's going to be charging at 500 kilowatts. So inductively charging, that's going to be about 12 minutes by the time you can leave your truck, yeah. go inside, go to the bathroom, get a snack, come you'll back, be, you'll uh, be done. I mean, that's, Full charge. that takes, uh, you know, less time than I think my old RC car did back in the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like 12 minutes of runtime and five hours of charging with like 12 uh, <laughs> AA batteries. Yeah. Well, it's great to see uh, the technology has come so far and it's really interesting to see what you guys are doing. So appreciate the time and walking us through the facility. Absolutely. And you guys are doing a big addition right now as well. So uh, yes. it looks like uh, business must be pretty good on your side of the fence. We are doubling the size of this building. We're in 50,000 square feet right now. We're doubling it another 40,000 square feet, adding a ton of office space. And so uh, this time next year, you're going to have you know, a dozen electric vehicles running around this area in here, um, in addition to all those vehicles that are out in the field right now. So, All right, well, a shout out to all of our listeners out there who are interested in uh, electrification, maybe you have an engineering background, and you don't want to live in uh, the Bay Area or Detroit. Uh, Columbus, Indiana, a hotbed of electrification activity. So uh, there's some, they're hiring and looking for good engineers out Absolutely, here. Absolutely, yeah. So, all right, we well, really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll you. talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. So, Holman, on behalf of the listeners, I thank you for doing that uh, as much as I am jealous that you went there. I appreciate you going and get some good audio. Yeah, it was awesome. I uh, Again, shout out to our buddy Steve Sanders. Just say thank you. Shout out to our friend Steve Sanders. Okay. Who gave us the invite. Okay. And got us access to all these different places. Uh, Cummins has, it's not one big campus. It's several campuses spread out across, you know, lots of, you know, they, some stuff might be 20 minutes, an hour away, things like that. And there's all these different manufacturing facilities and people, and he was able to string it all together. So we had a chance to do it and let me do a burnout in D006. So, so that was count awesome. of three, thank you, Dave Danders. One, two, three, thank, thank you, Dave Danders. Danders. Uh, that would be <laughs> at Dave Danders. Uh, I'm sure he really appreciates us putting that out there for him. <laughs> uh, so I'm feeling like dancing. You email? Yeah. All right, you going first or am I going first? I guess that'll did be you, me did then. Did you just right. end the song early? No, it faded oh, out on its own. Man, yeah. that's I'm disappointed in you. So uh, this email starts off with the subject line. Yeah, buddy. Well, that's gonna be a good one. From uh, Lance Jackson. So I'm watching USA BMX Grands. 
If you're not familiar, it's bicycle racing, and the announcer keeps saying, Yeah, buddy! You guys should start getting royalties for people using the yeah, buddy. By the way, don't say we should be getting paid for that, because then Emmy will listen and go, you're right. I should be getting paid oh, for yeah. that. Oh, no, yeah. Let's bury that email. Let's uh, bury that. Oh, well, too late. I read Okay. Uh, how about this one from Trucker Jones? Trucker Jones! Uh, Cummins Repower. What's up, Lightning and Holman? Now that the Nissan Titan sadly doesn't get the Cummins 5 liter, maybe they can use that for their next crate engine option. It's obviously a great engine for half ton. Be a good swap for a full-size Bronco and other trucks of similar size. Congrats on the 66, Lightning. Oh, nice. Peace out, Trucker Jones. Nice, Trucker. Uh, Trucker Jones. He's come to grips with, we're just calling him Trucker. Yeah, I know. That's how he signs it every time now. Uh, I am going to say that he listened to the last two episodes and went, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that you'll see the five liter. I think you'll see the five nine before you see the five liter. He's but a piece. Me. He's a piece? No, he's at peace. Oh, I think he said he's a piece. And I'm no, like, why I would I say would, that? I was thinking he was a peach. He's at peace. Uh, he's at peace. Yes. He's also a peach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cybertruck is the subject line of this email from Mark Garrity. Here's my take on the Tesla Cybertruck. I feel like all of a sudden we're getting a ton of these Cybertruck emails. No, these are just uh, people who heard the episode and they have a, a reaction to it. Visceral. I hate <laughs> the styling. Uh, I would not purchase just because of that. However, if it were skinned differently... I think it really is a nice package they're offering. The performance, suspension, travel, bed size, payload, and tow numbers are all excellent. With a different design concept, I could get behind it. I question if the tow rating and payload ratings meet industry standards. It kind of sounds like they're just throwing numbers out there. 14,000 plus tow rating. You never see a plus on SAE tow ratings, right? It's because I couldn't exactly determine what it would be. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Knowing what I know about electric drivetrain and the capability it offers, I can believe the numbers will end up close to what they're advertising. Range will be a concern until times are less than 10 to 15 minutes and are as prevalent as gas stations nationwide. I can't deny electric vehicles are coming. It's just a matter of time. Again, I just can't get past the looks. When it comes time, sell me a Rivian. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got one here uh, entitled Alpine from Chris Whipple. Oh, uh, if you'll remember, Chris Whipple was one of our listeners who had a little guy. I don't and remember And I think that. he was in the hospital for a little while. Oh, I His do remember His newborn that. son, yeah. And he yeah. was. Uh, they were getting through uh, their deal and listening to the Truck Show podcast. And it was a kind of an emotionally stirring email, the yeah, last one. So, uh, so Chris, I hope, uh, I hope the family's doing well, and thanks for uh, writing us back. Uh, anyway, he says, Lightning Holman. Just sitting here working, listening to the 100th episode of my 2014 GMC Sierra 1500. Extremely frustrated with my head unit. How it just has not kept up with the advancing technology of the cell phones. Never getting a second thought and always being frustrated with it. I forgot about your good friend over at Alpine. Anyway, I just wanted to touch- Wait, wait. Who's our good friend? Uh, That would be Steve Brown. Oh, dude. (laughs) I was ready to bleep it. Uh, You go for it. Steve mother- Brown! <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to touch base, say congratulations, and also I went to the Apple store to try and leave a five-star review on all the Apple products on display. Oh, that's badass! And was immediately removed from the store. <laughs> so let me leave you with five stars from an Android user. <laughs> and he says, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy! And that's our good friend and longtime listener, Chris Whipple. If you want to write us, uh, please do send us an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That's truckshowpodcast 
at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to leave a voicemail, it's the five-star hotline. Six five, wait, is, are you looking for me to read another one? Yeah, you didn't have another one? No, you didn't hand me one. Oh. Well, what are these? Were I supposed to read these? Yeah, those were yours. Oh, I, I was just doing the out. No, I'll keep going. Here we go. Okay. All right, we this still got one's emails. titled Gas Pumps from uh, Luke. My gripe isn't the pump handle color, but that the station put the regular grade gasoline in between the plus and premium. This is the only station I know of that isn't ordered from left to right. It goes regular, plus, and then premium. And in this one, yeah, they have 89 on the left, 87 in the middle, and then 91 on the on the right. That seems wrong. It is wrong. Stop it, gas station. All right, I have one from uh, Josh that's entitled Five Stars. Five Star Review! Five Stars! I just love how piratey she gets. Yeah. Uh, Josh says, you guys are awesome. Got turned on to you by another listener at Druffner on Insta. He's turned on? And haven't looked back. Had a six-plus-hour drive from Michigan to Wish- Michigan? Yeah, Michigan. Keep reading. <laughs> Had a six-plus-hour drive from Michigan to Wisconsin a couple months ago and binged a ton of episodes and have been working my way through them ever since. Great info. Love the carbon emissions episode. You know what's interesting about that? We've had more feedback on that episode from people, and I thought it might be too dry and maybe people didn't want to go down the road, but it seems like people really like that. We have said that several times now about yeah, a couple of episodes. We've been surprised. We thought, eh, it's kind of dry content. Yeah. Will they, will will they, they like enjoy it? it? Yeah. And it seems that those are Everybody some of the most does. popular yeah. episodes. So maybe we should stop doing this because we don't know what people like. Yeah, that's true. Uh, especially because we have no good barometer. Nothing. Nope. Uh, especially because that 7.3 is near and dear to my heart. So you attach my baby... A 2002 F350 Lariat FX4 Dually short bed. That's a good looking truck. Crew cab short bed Dually. Mm-hmm. Oh, Super yeah. Super duty. Yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. looking truck. Yeah, hard to find. Uh, anytime you guys want to have a whole episode on the 7.3 liter, I'd love it. Uh, yeah, you probably figure out who the 7.3 master is. There's a few companies out there. I'm going to get my hands on one in about a week and a half, I believe. Also, a suggestion for a guest, you guys would uh, love David Tracy. He's a writer for Jalopnik, former engineer at FCA, and every year he buys a POS Jeep, fixes it up, and drives to Moab. actually know David and have uh, met him in Moab many times with some of our Jeep engineer friends. He says he's a little crazy. You'd have to be to drive a rusted-out postal Jeep to Moab and take it on the trails. <laughs> a lover of Jeep, has some awesome stories, a truck guy through and through, a lot like you guys. Haha. <laughs> anyway, keep up the good work. Keep those episodes coming and... Five Star Review! Five Stars! Okay, this one is from Trevor. He says, Light. I work in construction and I have trucks that off-haul for my projects, so I've been on the other side. You oh, interesting. What? That's awful. Uh, see what you did there? Yeah, awful? Yeah, yeah, awful. Awful. So he's he's hauling off all the rubble, right? Remnants. And uh, he, I think he's referring to the conversation that we had where I was going Richter because- About trucks dropping rocks dro- and windshield. Exactly. And pitting my windshield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what would I do? Well, um, if it's actually a legitimate issue and you're uh, not over-exaggerating or following 25 feet behind the truck, and no, I'm not. I am- hundred yards behind the damn truck because they it, they hit the ground and then they bounce right. He says contact the uh, the general contractor or the development company that's doing the project and let them know that it's a uh, they've got a repeat issue on their hands or even the city and the county that the project falls under if applicable. Uh, they're required to have shake plates at the exit of the site to get all the rocks and mud off, but they aren't always effective or maintained. They might have to just employ some dude to stand at the exit and sweep every truck that leaves. Yes, they should, but I don't think that's the issue. I think that the the gravel is getting in those teeth 
and and still falling through on the trucks. So it's jiggling through. Um, luckily, the union will make sure that the guy gets thirty bucks an hour with full benefits and pension to do so. No, interesting. Just stand there. No, he's just <laughs> saying that it's. No, ridiculous. I'm saying that's an interesting job. It's probably more yeah. than we make now. Me anyway. As much as I hate receiving those complaints and calls, it usually takes a case of being unaware of it happening. Out of sight and out of mind. Thank you, Trevor. So, yep, I'm going to I'm gonna go and I'm going to complain and some dude's going to get a job for 30 bucks an hour. And we're gonna you get a new windshield. And I get a new windshield. All right, got one uh, here from uh, Josh Beasley, Cybertruck and Power Tools. He says, hey, Lightning and Holman. This is Josh, a transmission builder and aircraft mechanic from Omaha, Nebraska. First off, love the show. Currently my favorite podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. You must not have heard any other podcasts out there. <laughs> um, I heard uh, Martha Stewart has one. That's why you could say CarCast or something like that. Uh, because I feel like uh, she would do way better than us at truck podcasting. Do you really? I feel like she's better at everything than us. Uh, and she's better at going to jail, too. <laughs> I haven't been to jail. Have you? No. Uh, well, uh, I, I think you have, I right? Spent, I spent a night. Yeah, yeah, you've been to jail. Yeah, ah, I spent a night. Criminal. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. Well, that's that. not true. I've been to jail. Have you? On the other side of the bars. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You were clanking the- Oh, uh, yeah. The, the bucket like of I, keys. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good night, sucker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I slept in Going there. home to my family. And no, that's a story that I'm not going to tell. Why? Uh, I'm just not going to. Just uh, not, not going to. to. Not going to just right be, now? I was being a dumb juvenile. No, it's, it's a sealed record, so- and don't go looking for it, assholes. <laughs> you're not going to find it. I yes. say what I did. I tell you know. I know your birthday, too. Yeah? yeah? Should you throw it out there with your social security number? We'll I, I'd you. rather you didn't. Um, so then just fess up. What'd it's you do? It's not that bad. It's just being, it was just being stupid. Well, what are you doing? No, I'm not going to say. It's, I'm really not going to say. Was it that dumb? Uh, yeah, it was pretty dumb. <laughs> did it involve fire? No. Did it involve clearing a large gap with a machinery? Clearing a large gap, you mean like jumping something? I'm just, I'm trying to be as broad as possible to fit in all these scenarios. No, I've never been like that crazy daredevil. Well, this is this was kind of daredevilish. Did you destroy property? Uh, no, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Uh, did you trespass? I'm not saying. <laughs> you trespassed. Saying. Destroyed somebody. Was it saying. an ex-girlfriend? I'm not. Would I trespass? <laughs> What do you mean with an ex girlfriend? No, was the ex girlfriend's oh, no, no, property? I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not a crazy boyfriend. Uh, I'm telling. That's. I'm not sailing anymore. Next. That's next it, topic. huh? Now, next topic. Uh, and he. Funny. He says, uh, "I want to hear about Jay's time in jail." <laughs> Does he? Oh, Jay. <laughs> Jay was named for jail. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Hmm. Interesting. Move on. All right. Anyway, uh, next the Cybertruck. I think we can call it a real truck given its capabilities. Uh, Josh. Josh. <sighs> Let's call it. Um, Alleged capabilities, because anybody can say anything about anything. You don't know. Huh? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. It. We'll find out. We'll find out. I admit that when I first saw it, I was horrified, but after a few days and looking into the tech and specs, I think I fall closer to Lightning's opinion than Holman's. What? <laughs> mm. Well, uh, Josh, Keep reading. Josh, you are losing my faith in you. Um, stop listening to my show. Uh, no, I have not put down $100. I recently bought a 2018 Chevy Colorado Z71 Midnight Edition, Ooh, immediately nice. lifted it, and threw in a full set of skid plates, which is super smart because even the freaking Chevy ZR2s don't come with a gas fuel tank. Mm-hmm. Don't come with a fuel tank skid plate, and it's a plastic tank. And you're going, why yeah, you're gonna pierce you it. Yeah. I mean, mm. you really, I don't know. They're pretty rugged, but it's just dumb. And won't have any money for another truck for a while, but I did consider it. I could never be my only vehicle, but it would work great for towing my boat down to the river, taking care of my rental properties, and general commuting duty. Even the looks are growing on me. 
Uh, I would say that I, uh, having seen it before everybody and having seen it a few times since then, it is not as jarring to me as it was. I'm not going to say gr- has grown on me. It's just meh. Before it was like, oh. <laughs> um, and now it's just like, meh. I still kind of dig it in a weird way. Yeah, well, you, uh, you were uh, also in jail once. Yeah. <laughs> as far as power tools go, Milwaukee all the way. I mean, nobody has said anything but Milwaukee, so I guess that's what I'm going with. Hmm. Uh, as I said, I currently work as a transmission builder and put about a year's worth of homeowner wear and tear on the cordless tools each week. I have been through more batteries and tools than I can remember from a number of brands. I have Milwaukee both at home and at work. That being said, the Milwaukee stuff with brushes is junk. Worse than the brush DeWalt stuff, but the fuel stuff is amazing. Power on par with air tools and super long battery life, both per charge and over the years. Even the brushless stuff, not fuel but still brushless, is great for bang for the buck, and I would take it over DeWalt. Uh, I think I am going with the Milwaukee fuel, by the so, way. So, uh, let me tell you something. So, today, yeah. <clears throat> I was given a tour. Of jail? To, uh, no, 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 no. So of was, a was, Cummins plant? No. I was giving a tour. At our plant. Oh, I thought you were given a tour. I was giving. A giving Let me a tour. I'll enunciate. Okay, thank more you. Clear, right? but uh-huh. I was giving a tour. Okay. And I was over at Banks Tech across the street. Yes, and where that's the, our, uh, uh, the military engines are. The sea of Duramax L5 Yes, piece. it is. Yes, right. Did you put one in your and pocket? And we were a uh, little large. I would have loved to have actually did ask if I could uh, wrangle one. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Uh, so yeah, I mean, good. I did ask. You may have heard in the interview. I asked if... Uh, I could have a Cummins engine. They said if I could put it in my pocket, I could yeah. take one home. So, no, I couldn't have one. Uh, but I was touring around a, a bunch of guys from a GM uh, training center, like a tech uh-huh. school type of thing. Okay. And one of the guys turns around and says, wow, so you guys love Milwaukee tools. And I go, and I look around. I said, oh, look at that. It's a whole tray of Milwaukee. What a coincidence. We were talking about Milwaukee. Uh, this guy's like asking. He's like, I work on GM trucks and cars and and here's a, a here's a plant that develops military engines, so they must know what's really good, what kind of tools you should be using, right? And Matt, who works in our plant, turns and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that bench, that's our warranty pile. And it must have been 45 drill motors and batteries just sitting there. Whose brands? Milwaukee. All of them? All warranty. And I said, hmm. Well, and he said, we love this stuff. We use all Milwaukee, and they have a really good warranty program that we use. Huh. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, so we've been talking, well, hey, hey, you know, Milwaukee's badass. I mean, everybody seems to be. However. I mean, it's like eight to I one. I mean, it's got, yeah. It's like eight to one uh, Milwaukee over uh, DeWalt. And yet no one's talking Makita. No, but uh, one person maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's so weird because back in the 90s, it was all about Makita. Makita. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Man, I love Makita back in the day. Well, Josh continues, love the show. Keep up the good work. And yes, I've already given you five stars. Five star review. Five stars. We've played Emmy a lot this show. Oh, we have. So that's our uh, that's our buddy Josh. And uh, that's it for the inbox. Um, I'm going to go do a few reviews. We've had a few reviews added. So please tell your uh, friends about the show. Please share the show. We're looking to keep this thing growing and going. And uh, please subscribe. Growing and going? Going and growing. <laughs> going and growing. Uh, so we, uh, we've got 675 reviews, 632 of them are. Can you guys do me a favor? Hold on a second. Can you guys do me a favor? I just, when we post something on Facebook or Instagram, just, just share it. Or every once in a while, just put put something up in your feed. Like, hey, I heard something interesting today. Or have you heard Churchill Podcast? We got to get out there, man. uh, We're we're working hard for uh, people to find us. And as, as you can tell by the emails, lots of people have said, hey, we're 100 episodes in, and I just found you. So and we need more of those. Y- you know what? Um, can we be honest for a second? Can I just pull the curtain back? 
Uh, sure. Apple does not do us any favors. Um, we need like subscribing. Yeah. And the thing is, they changed their algorithm and it totally uh, messed up uh, people trying to find us. We're getting hammered. Yeah. We're on like, are we still like games and no, what we're are we in under? Uh, like, leisure. 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 What? I mean. That's where automotive is now. I know. It's just exactly. ridiculous. So hmm. I, they just made it all hard to find. And yeah. So if, if really, if you could share it, it would be super rad. Appreciate and, it. And uh, make sure that if people are listening, subscribe, because that's a huge deal. Leave us a five-star rating. That helps us out. Uh, so I've got a few more five-star reviews here. Got one from uh, at the Doug. And uh, he says, my daughter's phone review. This is at the Doug. He's one of our Instagram followers. I grabbed my daughter's phone, technically mine since I paid for it. You guys are my Monday morning blessing, and you two are sent from God to give truck knowledge and truth. <laughs> Keep spreading the good trucking word, brothers. Nice. And uh, five, five stars. stars. All right, I got one here from uh, Reagan Bassett. My dad made me do this. You guys are hilarious. I listen to you guys all the time in the car. My dad at the Doug made me do this. <laughs> <laughs> and five, five stars. stars. Sweet. And we got one like this podcast from H T H O R D O G. So hot tour dog. Hot Thor dog, I guess, or uh-huh. Thor dog, H Thor dog, like trying to figure out somebody's license plate. Yeah. Great podcast, really enjoy it. I'm an over the road truck driver, and I just found this podcast two weeks ago, and I'm now on episode 81. Really enjoying. Oh it. my lord, dude! And he says five stars. Is he listening to us at like 20 times speed? I don't know, man. That's a lot of miles on the road. Dude, I, our wives don't even like hearing us that much. No. That's why they send us off to the podcast studio. They go, go talk to somebody else for a few hours. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I've got one here from uh, Slow Cross Racer. <laughs> this is my Slow favorite. Cross Racer. Might be my favorite review of all time. Oh. Howie's got a thing for Jody. Love the Truck Show podcast. Colt and Howie do a fantastic job of keeping us informed on the goings-on in the truck world. From new trucks to the movers and shakers of the industry, and then on to trick stuff you didn't even know you couldn't live without. They are the best podcast in this space. I'm not even a truck guy. 2006 LJ Rubicon and 99 K2500 7.5 liter Suburban. But this is the first podcast I listen to every Monday. Now go jump that truck and five stars. So are you Colt or am I Colt? I want to be Colt. I want to be Colt. I think I'm Colt and you're Howie. Okay, I'd be Howie. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> let us know which one of us is called, which one of us is Howie. Oh, man. So uh, I think that's it for the uh, the two Cummins episodes. All right. Well, hit that music right there. And I just want to uh, tell all of our listeners, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And Happy New Year. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. Oh, oh. And I believe you're saying Happy New Year because we're going to take a week off after uh, oh, That's the plan, yeah. yeah. You know where I am right now? Uh, right now, you you mean future you. I'm, as 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 someone is listening to this yes. right now. Future you. I'm hanging out on Harbor Boulevard at the Nissan dealer. Are you? Yep. Are you, you know buying why? a new truck for the new year? I'm. You know why? Why? They have free popcorn. They do have free popcorn. I'm just hanging out, eating Eat popcorn. popcorn. Yep, I'm looking at the new, at the, well, the night, oh. they still have like two 19s on the lot. But the 20s are on the way, so you better scoop up with those 19s while you still can. So I'm rubbing up against it, and I'm just, it, it's just, I'm getting good, good, uh, vibes? Know, yeah, good juju. <laughs> good juju. Yeah. Uh, are you just watching Car Salesman for sport? <laughs> yeah, so that's okay. Well, if you. Because Nissan salesmen are just slick and cool and nice guys and down to earth. Yeah, you have those one guys that are helpful. No, no, no. Nissan no. guys are cool. Yeah. 
And you should helpful. buy their you should buy their cool truck. I don't want helpful. I want a guy tell me how it is. Uh, NissanUSA.com, five year, hundred thousand mile warranty. <laughs> Uh, this is the last time we're going to talk about the 19s, because when we come back, the 20s will be around, and uh, thanks for letting us have a week off, everybody. <laughs> and also, we can't forget our friends over at Deck. For your uh, all of your cargo storage solution needs for your truck or van, check out Deck.com. And uh, What do you like about the Deck system? Uh, that it's going to be under my Christmas tree? Mm-hmm. Wait, is it? I don't know. Did hey, you ask for one? Greg, can you send me a Deck system? No, so what, that would, you, what st- would you put it in? Uh, I would put it in my garage. No, but you, you are, you're asking, you're trying to get a Jeep, right? Did They don't have one for a Jeep, do they? I, you know, I asked Greg about that. I'm like, when are you guys going to do one for a Jeep? And he goes, oh, we've talked about it. They should. Greg, do one for a Jeep and put it under my fr- yeah, Christmas should. tree. Oh, listen, if you have a vehicle with a bed, then you have a vehicle that will fit a deck system. No, no, no. You have a vehicle that needs a deck system. Oh, yeah. Better said. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, happy new year. Merry Christmas, not in that order, and uh, we uh, have enjoyed this uh, first full year with you guys. It's been awesome. 2019 was huge for the podcast, and we're looking forward to uh, doing some more cool stuff in 2020. We've got some great guests lined up already for the beginning of the year, and uh, some people I think uh, our listeners are really going to like, more than us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Holman, I think we forgot something. Oh, shit. That whole thing about uh, the Motor Trend On Demand app. No, Motor Trend app. Hey, Holman, I think we forgot something. Did we? Mm, yeah, we forgot to promote the Motor Trend app. Oh, yeah, the one where until January 2nd, you can get uh, Motor Trend with uh, no ads for $2 a month or with ads for $1 a month. <laughs> Why would you ever opt for to save $1 and watch ads? Yeah, no kidding. $2, $2, $2 a month? Do it. Do it. Do MotorTrend.com. Check it out. Tell them the Truck Show podcast sent you. Tell who? I don't know. It just felt good to say that. (laughs) See you next year.